BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I want to know what you were thinking last night as you watched LeBron James make history, or as you heard about it, or maybe even as it approached last night as LeBron became the NBA's all time leading scorer. Made history. I had some thoughts. I want yours as well. 503-417-7575 is a phone number. You tell me what you made of it, what you thought of it. Will it ever be broken? Where does it put him all time? Did you have random wandering thoughts? Because I did. In fact, I was studying the video highlight of the shot where LeBron breaks the record. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, will anybody ever touch the record that he will continue to break every time he scores a basket? Doesn't feel like it to me. Here's LeBron setting the scoring record. Looking for James. He's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history. I didn't love the call from the broadcaster there. You could tell he had rehearsed LeBron stands alone. I didn't need that. Like, you know, it, it, it was enough to let LeBron hit the shot and let it sort of breathe a little bit. But uh, the other takeaway, you know, all the people holding up cameras inside the arena, of course, like the still shots of, of, of the basket or when he's going up to shoot the basket and everybody in the whole arena except for Phil Knight is holding up a camera trying to capture it it just kind of made me think about you know you're there you bought a ticket you're there to witness history so much of our culture has become about capturing it so you can tell other people that you were there instead of just enjoying it like you know the 80 something year old phil knight is doing as he's sitting courtside with with uh, Bronny James and Bryce James, LeBron's two sons. And so I thought, you know, I that was a thought I had. You know, LeBron putting this record where no one can touch it uh, over the next couple seasons. He said in the post game, he feels like he's got a couple of more seasons that he can play at a high level. He also intimated that it didn't necessarily need to be with Los Angeles. I thought that was an interesting thing for a guy who's having a big night to say. Uh, I think the Lakers have... Uh, done right by LeBron, mostly in part because they brought him there to win and it was supposed to be LeBron as the draw and they got him Anthony Davis and they've tried to do some things. Hasn't worked out in the last couple of years, but uh, I thought it was an interesting tactic by LeBron to kind of take that night and that platform and that moment and spin it into an opportunity to uh, let other teams know, hey, wherever he's playing, whatever jersey that he's wearing, uh, he feels like he has a couple of years left. Also, the video that's circulating of Anthony Davis uh, coming in uh, along the bench and taking a seat as LeBron is making history uh, caught my attention. I thought it was a weird reaction by AD that as the entire arena and most of LeBron's uh, teammates are on their feet, Anthony Davis takes a seat. LeBron hits the shot. Anthony Davis doesn't even get up. Uh, you know, I don't know what the backstory there is, but it wasn't a great look for Anthony Davis. And 
raised some questions there. But I want to know what you thought of it all, what you made of it all. Uh, it, in my mind, it does not make LeBron James the greatest NBA player to ever play. He's the scoring champ. And there's nothing wrong with that because the guy that the record that he broke, I didn't consider him the greatest NBA player who had ever played. In order to be uh, the NBA's all-time leading scorer, you got to do two things really, really well. A, you got to score. B, you got to stay healthy and have longevity. And LeBron's done those things, and he's done it at a high level for a long time. And if you look at LeBron's career, there are several amazing things about his career, not just the championships, not just the points. The fact that in this era where so many people get sideways with things that they say and things that they do, relatively speaking, LeBron James, aside from maybe some criticisms of, hey, he hasn't taken a stand on social issues all the time, or, hey, he he sort of uh, uh, evaporated when the Olympics in China uh, were going on and people were going, hey, what about the uh, civil rights violations in China and Darfur? And LeBron was like, you know, basically I'm here to sell sneakers. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, like, I don't think he's he's taken character hits in the way that other star athletes have at a time in which, you know, he's frankly under the microscope all the time, all day long, every day. My takeaways, uh, of course, one of them is social with uh, the world sort of observing uh, events through the lens of their own cell phone camera. I can't stand that when I go to a concert or somewhere and everybody's just standing up recording the whole concert. Like, what happened to actually being in the moment? What happened to enjoying the moment? Felt like there were a lot of fans there watching that game and watching LeBron make history that, you know, were trying to capture their own little piece of video instead of doing what Phil Knight was doing. Phil Knight was, you know, just there in the front row going, hey, I'm in the front row, this is history, and I'm just going to I'm just gonna watch it with my own eyes, and I'll tell people about it later. I thought that was pretty cool, and I thought it was uh, reflective of sort of a different generation of sports fan. Now everybody with the phone out trying to get the 30-second uh, clip for the gram or whatnot or Twitter or, or who knows what. Uh, also, um, other takeaway, you know, I don't know that we're going to see anybody touch this record. I, I just think it takes a special, unique player. By the time he is done playing and this thing is sitting at 40,000 points, I mean, you're going to have to play 22, 24 years. You're going to have to be the guy. You're going to have to play maybe in a generation or an era where there is a lot of scoring. Uh, and then you uh, you got to stay healthy. 503-417-7575. What you make of it? What were you thinking about? as LeBron was chasing history. Let's go to Stephen, who's in Portland on line one. Stephen, welcome to the program. What were you thinking about? Hey, Darn. Um, I was thinking, hey, I'm, I'm 33. I've missed the Kareem years. So as I'm looking at this, I'm just like, man, Kareem must have been incredible. I mean, he did it in an era where they were playing a whole lot more defense. There's no load management. There's no injury prevention. He came into the league after playing three years in college. Like, It made me have a whole lot more respect for Kareem than anything. It's a good point. Did it on fewer shots. I don't want to criticize LeBron for that because I still think it's amazing what LeBron did. But, you know, LeBron needed a whole bunch uh, of more shot attempts to get it done. And the caller's right. Like, you know, Kareem played in a different era at a different time. And you can look at the scoring in the uh, basketball games during, uh, you know, Kareem's career. It wasn't as wide open as it is today. And certainly LeBron has benefited from that. 
Uh, 503-417-7575 is the number. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about LeBron here in this segment. Next segment, we're going to Dallas. We're going to check in on the latest on Pac-12 expansion. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. i got a whole bunch of things to share, but we're going to have a guest that knows SMU inside and out. We'll get up to date on SMU and how they might fit as part of the Pac-12 coming up here at about 318. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, will be on the show. Uh, Anna will stop by, as always. We'll take a bunch of phone calls. i got so much to get to today. I made a whole list of things I want to talk about. I will not get through it on today's show, but I'm starting with LeBron. I have to know, Stephen, in studio, what you were thinking as you are watching LeBron make history last night. Yeah, a couple things for me. Um, just one, just appreciating the greatness that he is, um, and especially him in transition. Like, just as a basketball guy, he is the best transition basketball player I've ever seen. And offensively, defensively, those chase-down blocks, but, like, when he gets going in the fast break, he's unstoppable. And he even showed it last night at age 38. Like, you can't stay in front of the guy. He's too big. He's too strong. And he finishes all the time. And that's how he was getting a lot of his buckets um, throughout the, throughout that game. So that was one of the first thoughts, just kind of like reminiscing of, like, how good he really is in transition. Um, but another thing I thought of was it, it just didn't seem very personal with the Lakers, right? Mm. Like, it seemed very businesslike. Uh, to be in L.A., like, even with the Phil Knight thing, sitting with his sons, like, it always it just seemed like there was some type of angle. Uh, it was more business than anything. Like, you talked about Anthony Davis not showing any type of emotion. He didn't celebrate with the players on the court. Like, the players stood off to the side. It was just him on the court uh, celebrating with the fans. It, it just it, – there was no personality to it. Like, it was just – is that an L.A. thing? Is that today's era of NBA? What is it? I don't know. I don't know if that's it or if it's just because, like, the team isn't very good right now, so, like, LeBron doesn't like them or what it is or he's just not bought. I don't know what it is. It just seemed a little off. Like, I feel like if he was in Cleveland, it would have been a totally different vibe the entire night. And it felt like it was, like, you talked about the bad call by the announcers almost. Like, it, it just felt like it was so forced. Like, everything just felt so forced, all the – all the uh, you know the congratulatory congratulatory uh, speeches by the celebrities and Drake coming on there telling some bad joke like it just seemed really forced to me and very business like so I didn't like that and then the final thing was afterwards when uh, the picture came out of LeBron with the step back jumper and all the phones it was amazing to me how many people that work in sports that had no idea who Phil Knight was like that <laughs> I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's an Oregon thing but that blew my mind. That's so many people like, look at that dude in the front with no phone. Yeah, that's Phil Knight. The guy runs Nike. Like, you don't know who that is. Like, there was a lot of people that said that. I couldn't believe that. So those are the couple things that stood out. Yeah, and, and look, does it, it didn't bother me. Like, you know, when you look at LeBron's career, he averages about 20 shots a game. Okay, and he played 1,400 games, 1,410 games to get to the point where Kareem is. Now, Kareem played – more games, but averaged you know fewer shots per game. He averaged about two shots fewer per game uh, over his career. But um, I also think it's just it's amazing, and I think you know I, I don't think it necessarily need. This is a this is an endurance and talent record blended into one. When you talk about all-time leading scorer, I don't need LeBron to beat Kareem in fewer seasons or fewer shots. I just think he just has more points. 
and I think we can look back and go, hey, he's the all-time leading scorer. It doesn't change my mind, though, on Michael Jordan being the greatest player of all time, and I think Jordan's probably sitting somewhere going, you know what, I could have played more seasons. I should have taken baseball off. I could have stuck around a little bit longer. And, you know, I think those things could have benefited Michael Jordan's case. But I don't think Jordan was interested in that. I think he was more interested in winning championships and had sort of had his fill by the time he was done. Peter Sampson, what were you thinking about as LeBron's making history? Yeah, I mean, the inevitability of it, just like, uh, you know, LeBron has felt inevitable coming against you on the fast break. Uh, but I, I tend to agree with what Steven said about it. Was, it's kind of hard to put your finger on on it, but uh, sort of manufactured. I, I completely agree with that. And uh, I even told him, I said before this game, as soon as I saw, oh, that's the TNT game tonight, LeBron's going to get this. Even if he has to take 40 shots, it's going to happen as a national TV event. There's he, They do the fit check before the game. He walked up. He was practically in a tuxedo. I'm not a big sports better, John. I immediately put 10 units on LeBron over 32 and a half, and it hit in the third quarter because it was all created to be a TV spectacle. And I don't want to sound like a hater because it's amazing, and I agree. I think when it's all said and done, I can't necessarily see anyone breaking this record to be at – you know, a score at such a high level for such a long time. Not to mention that LeBron, like, he's really not a scorer per se. You know what I mean? I mean, he's like Magic Johnson in Carl Malone's body. So it's just, it's elevated level of play for such a sustained period of time. Uh, props to him. I'm with you. He's he's not the greatest in my book, but there's no denying, man, a number one score. It's an amazing achievement. Yeah, I didn't like, I mean, part of it I think is, the time. It's a different star in today's game in 2023. The star players are just different. They carry themselves different. It, it is a lot about me, me, me. And L, you combine that with Los Angeles, the L.A. market, and the Lakers. And I do think there's a real um, sort of uh, LeBron Inc. feel to it. It's It wasn't the Lakers breaking this record. It wasn't his teammates saying, you know, hey, Thanks, teammates. You distributed the ball to me all those times, and you know, you, you know, I'm nothing. I'm nothing without you. No, it wasn't that. It was I am the greatest, and let me have the stage to myself and drop an f bomb. And that part of it to me is a bit of a turnoff. And then I sort of look at LeBron campaigning after the game, going, "Hey, no matter what jersey I'm in, I feel like I have two. You know, he's basically saying, you know, to hell with this team that just helped me break this record. Uh, I'm gonna go. I, I may go somewhere else, wherever it may be." Wherever I can get my son drafted, uh, I'm going to stick around and play. And I just it, – it kind of felt to me like I wanted – I wanted uh, – I guess it's authentic on one hand, but I think I wanted to hear LeBron maybe a little bit more talk about how amazing it was, the fact that he played in Miami with all those star players for the length of time that he played there, and he still got the points is remarkable to me because you would have think that – you know, would have thought that Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh would have cannibalized – uh, baskets from LeBron over that time and that there's no way that he could possibly get to the record the way that he did but tip of the cap LeBron is the all-time leading scorer in the NBA we'll revisit this a little bit later in the show next though we're going to the SMU beat uh, our guest coming up is going to talk about SMU Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov is supposed to be at tonight's SMU Temple basketball game on campus at SMU how do the how do the ponies fit? How do the Mustangs fit in this? Do they fit in the Pac-12? Our guest coming up next is going to talk about it. 
back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We've been all over this Pac-12 expansion talk for months and months and months. I confirmed today at johnconzano.com that George Klyovkov met with officials at San Diego State uh, right around the Holiday Bowl when Oregon was playing in the Holiday Bowl. The Pac-12 commissioner sat down with uh, executives and administrators at San Diego State for about 45 minutes. Uh, Pac-12 commissioner now apparently in Dallas uh, on the SMU campus. Probing? Just visiting? Well, let's talk a little bit about how SMU might fit into the Pac-12 conference. I wrote it today. If you're interested in the the uh, the numbers, uh, you know, the Dallas television market, Dallas-Fort Worth, about 2.9 million television households. That is a robust market, compares very favorably to the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and again, the Pac-12 trying to replace the Los Angeles TV market. Is San Diego State and the combination of the Aztecs and SMU the way to get there? Doesn't get you all the way back, but it gets you part of the way back. Here to talk about it, Billy Embody hosts a podcast uh, on the Pony Express podcast, also works for On3 Sports, covering SMU athletics. He's going to tell us all about SMU. Billy, thanks for making time. Anytime. How are you? Doing well, man. Uh, give us an idea, like, just the overall buzz. This has been talked about for a while, but when you, when you, you know, when fans, SMU fans, hear that Klyovkov is going to be at a basketball game tonight, how, what's the reaction in your sphere? Yeah, there, there's a groundswell of, of support is, is what it is. And, you know, looking at this basketball team, I mean, first of all, they're, they're off to a brutal start in the Rob Lanier era. So games have certainly not been the place to be um, this year. I mean, years past when they were really good under Larry Brown and Tim Jankovic at times, they used to pack that place out. Not the case right now, but this is probably going to be the, you know, most well-attended home game on the, on the slate. You know, people are, buying tickets left and right. The fraternities and sororities are planning to show up. I mean, it is, you know, kind of a um, kind of surreal moment in the sense that obviously we don't know for sure if SMU is going to end up in the Pac-12 or if they're going to, you know, uh, go to a Power 5 conference at all. But the wheels seem to be turning in the right direction, and people almost needed to see something like this to get, that extra boost that it is a reality that they could very well end up in the comp in, you know, the PAC 12 or uh, just, you know, any power five conference that they're being considered. And especially after being snubbed by the big 12 and, you know, they certainly had their go at rebuilding over the last, you know, couple decades after the, the death penalty. And this is, this is what the casual fan kind of needed to hear. I think around Dallas and around, you know, SMU athletics is that, you know, for the hardcore fans who are on my message board or on message boards uh, for San Diego State or wherever who track it all the time, you know, this is not necessarily news that SMU is being considered. But for the casual fans, it's been a, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, watershed moment, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that Klyovkov is there in person is interesting because there's no other bowl game going on. And he's definitely going there 
to you know talk with SMU, which is different maybe than even the San Diego State conversation that happened in late December. He was there anyway for the Holiday Bowl. Uh, give me an idea, you know, football, men's basketball, the health overall of the athletic department as you see it. You cover it. Yeah, I think the health of the athletic department is really strong. I mean, you're looking at a, a university that has pumped hundreds and hundred, almost, I think, $500 million over the last decade and, you know, maybe give a half into, you know, just facilities across multiple sports. Um, and they just broke ground last month on a $100 million end zone project that's going to uh, expand the stadium and, and add suites and add a brand-new football only facility, which will also allow other sports to get into the that old space from the football um, team and, and repurpose that into you know new um, locker rooms and weight rooms and things like that for those programs. So you look at what they do on the facilities front, and it really is second to none in terms of group of five, in my opinion. I mean, they just do everything first class. I mean, it, it's not you know even Houston when they built their indoor practice facility. I mean, it's a um, it looks like a hangar, and it's just kind of a, a metal uh, hangar uh, that has a, a field in it. SMU uses brick. It's, I mean, just got recruiting areas. It's got another weight room for the pros. They don't, um, you know, they, they don't do things that are that are cheap in a way, and they've invested big time in facilities. And then you look at, you know, the last couple football coaches have all gone on to take, quote, unquote, better jobs and, um, you know, continue to ascend the ranks. So it's an attractive job in a huge TV market and a huge recruiting area um, for, for colleges across the country. So the health of the program now that it's been stabilized and boosters are really starting to pump money back into it uh, is really been interesting and, and, you know, kind of crazy to watch, um, you know, how they branded themselves as you know, Dallas's team, as far as bringing back transfers or um, trying to keep, you know, Dallas area prospects at home. Um, they just got a four star, athlete from uh, the, the two-time defending state champions in, in Dallas, South Oak Cliff. So, you know, they've got it rolling on multiple levels. And then basketball has the facilities. They've got a recruiting base. And they finally made a change after, you know, I think seven years of mediocrity under Tim Jankovic. And, you know, right now that hire of Rob Lanier is, is certainly, I would say, being questioned. But one thing I will say is, is SMU's not afraid to spend. And, um, I think, you know, if by year two it's not looking good, they'll go out and, and try to right that, you know, wrong move. But um, the health of those programs in terms of support is, is you know, really, really high up there for, for a group of five especially. Yeah, and I've heard people say, hey, look, the stadium's you know, not huge. But I've been there. Uh, you know, I used to cover the WAC when SMU was part of that years ago. And, you know, I, I think that stadium, that football stadium, Gerald Ford Stadium, correct me if I'm wrong, capacity in the 30,000s, 35,000, 33,000, something like that. I mean, and that's comparable maybe to Martin Stadium at Washington State or even Oregon State with their with their renovation. But I think the Dallas media market is what the Pac-12 is really after, and, and, and it's interesting. What questions do you think SMU will have for the Pac-12, uh, Billy, as you look at their vantage point? Just trying to figure out what a potential grant of rights would look like. How long would would schools be locked in for um, just to really stabilize the move? Because I've, I, I've heard this from plenty of sources for the last year or so. 
that SMU's been in contact with the ACC. They've been in contact with the Big 12. They're continuing to stump uh, all three conferences that they would at least be potential expansion candidate for, and they don't want to get into necessarily a situation, I, I don't think at least, that ends up being like the Big East, that it falls apart right after and, and they're left you know, kind of scrambling and, and they're right back to where they started or having to you know, go back, I mean, gosh, gosh forbid, to the AAC that is being put together. Um, I would think that would be the number one question they would have is what type of stability is expected when this new media rights deal is negotiated, agreed upon, um, and and I, it seems like that would include an, an SMU and San Diego State being a part of the league when they do negotiate that or at least locked in to move um, that way. So that's probably the biggest question is what does the stability of the conference look like? Yeah, and I think, you know, the Pac-12 as I see it now, and, and as I talk to ADs and a couple of the presidents of the conference, they feel like the 10 remaining schools are – are, are stabilized and that the expansion of the playoff did that five to seven years is what I hear grant of rights that is being discussed I think the fact that Klyovkov has, has removed himself from the conference uh, media rights discussion today and that he's headed to SMU tells us that that media rights deal is probably winding down and now they're uh, you know I, I did talk to one TV executive today who told me that before those companies sign they're gonna want to know you know, hey, hey, if you're adding someone, we don't want to do it in the mi- middle of the deal and have to uh, renegotiate that. They kind of want to know what's happening with expansion, at least have it on a napkin. It feels like, you know, SMU, San Diego State make a bunch of sense just from the media markets and the academic profile at SMU also fits the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors are not going to balk at that. Question for you, um, the the travel part of this, it's – you know, it's it's a it's a grind for a team from Dallas to have to come to Pullman, Washington, and Seattle, and Eugene, and Corvallis. Do you think SMU would push to have a travel partner, a Rice, a Tulane, somebody closer in the area that could help cut down on the wear and tear of the travel? I, I don't think they'd push for a travel partner. Um, to be honest, that I, I think the only one that. Uh, they would push for would quite honestly be Rice, uh, an in-state school that you know hasn't really threatened in in you know major sports. But I know there's a mutual respect between the two schools. Uh, that would kind of be the only travel partner I could see. You know, one thing I think that this you know potential happening could bring is you know obviously a, an improved budget in terms of flying. You know, I think chartering would be very much. A consistent thing rather than you know sometimes here or there they take you know commercial um, not for the football team of course but um, for for basketball and some of those other sports uh, I think you're looking at the potential to do a little bit more of that chartering which which can you know take off a little bit of the the grind associated with those long long travel and you know who knows maybe they end up you know, getting in an extra day early and, and kind of treat it maybe like an NFL team maybe they do some of those things um, where they, you know, pretty much any NFL team that travels, you know, Texas, you know, all the way up to Chicago, if they go out to the West coast, they get out there an extra day early. Maybe that's something they explore to kind of let, let the guys get a little bit more rest or acclimated um, to, to that type of travel for the football team, at least. 
Billy Embody is our guest. Uh, he uh, works for On3 Sports covering SMU. Uh, also has a podcast on the Pony Express podcast. Um, it's exciting. Like I, I think it's exciting, and I think anytime you get change, I think people in the Pac-12 footprint are eager to see what happens here. But competitively, you know, you, you touched on basketball a little bit, football, basketball. How would SMU, in your view, compete in those two revenue-generating sports in the Pac-12? You know, I think recruiting-wise for football, is, is it's really starting to trend towards a, a program that's recruiting on a middle-of-the-pack Power 5 level. And if you stick that Pac-12 logo on there, then kind of all bets are off. You know, I think with the recruiting base that SMU has in Dallas, their roster is just going to look really different. I think the bottom quarter to a third of the roster is sometimes a little weak because they have to obviously take a little bit more risk, I think, on, on kids that, you know, might um, not be up to, you know, power five level, but they, they are projects or they, you know, have athleticism, but they're raw. This gives them that opportunity to really kind of go after a little bit more of the highly rated kids around town, more consistently at least, and say, hey, stay home. You can you know, play on a major conference level. You know, we have the facilities in place, represent your city. That's kind of been the big concern with recruits. I mean, a lot of them, you know, have been players that were on campus numerous times during their recruitments and, you know, pretty much, you know, from time to time they end up going, you know, elsewhere um, to a Power 5 program. So, um, I think the recruiting impact of this would be huge for football, and they, they'll be able to compete, I think, um, at a fairly consistent level with the Pac-12 teams and, and be a middle-of-the-pack team and potentially you know, start challenging for you know, divisional you know, crowns and things like that um, if they can kind of upgrade the, the bottom quarter of their roster. And then basketball, basketball is kind of the same story as far as what tools and resources are in place, but this this hire right now is is you know Rob Lanier needs to fix a lot of things with this program and um, there's not much life in it right now so um, if if that continues they could be a doormat um, by the time they uh, get to the Pac-12 in basketball or they could be on uh, you know a new hire and, and somebody that you know could re-energize the program and, and rebuild it maybe quickly with the transfer portal. Really appreciate your time, Billy. Uh, it's exciting, I think, for SMU fans. I think Pac-12 fans are really interested to see where this goes. Uh, the Dallas market, I think, speaks for itself. Uh, you do great work, man. Uh, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks a lot for having me. You bet. There's Billy and Body on the Pony Express podcast. Also writes for On3 Sports. Uh, coming up, I'll tell you what I know. On the media rights front, um, I wrote some of it today, but it's really interesting to see this starting to take shape. I do think we're within, uh, you know, I, I, the Pac-12 tournament in men's and women's basketball is coming up uh, in early March. I think we're going to have news on the media rights front and expansion. I think George Kuyavkov is going to have plenty to talk about. I'll tell you what I know coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
12 expansion obviously ramping up. Uh, look, if you want the full Monty, go to johnconzano.com, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. If you do, you will get uh, my reporting, my commentary in real time, delivered in your email inbox, everything available to you. But uh, I wrote some of this today. I'm going to go into some other depth here and some other directions in this segment. But we just talked to the writer who covers SMU. Now, the reason why the Pac-12 conference is interested in SMU, you've got to really start thinking like a TV executive if you are out there thinking, what is the Pac-12 going to do? You need to think about television households, not ratings, not brand. Those things matter. But they don't matter as much as TV households. Uh, For example, the Big Ten Conference added Rutgers years ago and added Maryland. It did not add Rutgers because of Rutgers' football program. It didn't even add Maryland because of Maryland's basketball program. It added Rutgers because it wanted the New York television market. And yes, I know what you're going to say. People in New York don't watch Rutgers. That doesn't matter. The TV households are there. It gives the conference and the conference's TV partner the ability to say, our conference captures the New York television market. And by extension, having the uh, having Maryland in the fold, our conference captures the Washington, D.C. television market. That's the name of the game. It's why it hurt so much when the Pac-12 lost the L.A. TV market. It wasn't just UCLA and USC that were going out the door. The thing that really hurt the Pac-12 is that the Los Angeles TV market went out the door with them. It's 6.7 million television households between Los Angeles and San Diego County. Okay, that's what that's what UCLA and USC were getting credit for. Now, if one of them had left, it still would have been okay. But the fact that they both left really removed and put a big hole in the middle of the Pac-12 conference's plans for television. It removed about 28% of the TV value, those two partners bailing. So you take a big hit, 6.7 million households, gone. You're out of Southern California, gone. So what we know now is that the Pac-12 is on a mission to replace not only the football inventory lost by two teams leaving, 23 combined football games between UCLA and USC in a given season, pile of men's basketball games, you not only have to replace that inventory, you got to replace the TV households. And you have to do it in a way that, uh, you know, is as few markets as possible, as many households as possible. So you need big markets. And so I, it's why, I mean, no-brainer that the Pac-12 is interested in San Diego State. And I am told that George Klyovkov met with officials at San Diego State right around the December 28th Holiday Bowl. There was a 45-minute meeting. It wasn't like hours and hours and hours of talking, uh, very cordial, I'm told, uh, a lot of sort of get-to-know-you talk. It didn't feel to me like that was a meeting that, you know, Klyovkov was extending an offer to San Diego State. It wasn't like that at all. But he was meeting with them and talking with them. He has, uh, to my knowledge, not met with Boise State, not met with Fresno State, although there has been intermittent talks with Fresno State. Um, I just think it's a courtesy to those others, but I think San Diego State is definitely a target, uh, as as we have all talked about for months. And adding San Diego State gets you how many households? 1.13 million. 
Okay, you lost, remember, keep in mind, you lost 6.7 million. You get 1.13 million households back, and you get into Southern California. It's why SMU becomes important. Because as you look at media markets that are available to the Pac-12, you know, you can't get back into L.A. There's no way. There's no team there. There's no university there that you could have. So you start looking like, where are the next biggest markets? Phoenix, you already have it with Arizona and Arizona State. Salt Lake City, you already have it. Seattle, you already have it. Denver, you already have it with Colorado. So you start to go, okay, what's the next biggest, what's the next biggest, and you start to move east. And what you find is that Dallas, Texas is the first big opportunity that presents itself as you start to move towards the eastern part of the United States. Now, it's almost 3 million households in the Dallas TV market, Dallas-Fort Worth, 2.96 million. So it bites back about 4.1 million between San Diego State and SMU when we're talking about TV households. And, and, and again, it doesn't really matter when, you know, if you say, hey, but nobody in Dallas is watching SMU, like the people in the Dallas area are watching Texas or they're watching Texas Tech. Yeah, that's fine. But what you're selling here is TV households. So you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth market and you're, tell you're selling Southern California. You're in the San Diego County. So you have 4.1 million households that you add back into the conference. It doesn't get you all the way back to what you lost with S uh, excuse me, USC and UCLA, you're still about 2.5 million households shy, but it gets you above 16.5 million total TV households between the Bay Area, Phoenix, Seattle, Denver, Portland, Salt Lake, San Diego, and Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, it, it gets you above where the Big 12 is. Big 12 has 15.1 even after their expansion. So... It's really interesting to me to kind of watch this take shape. I think that, you know, the Pac-12 could probably stand pat at 12. I have moved away from thinking they could stay at 10 because the people I'm talking with are now saying that there's a real push from one of the TV partners that the Pac-12 is apparently way down the road with that one of the TV partners wants some tonnage. And I was like, what's tonnage? Well, they need some inventory. And this unnamed entity apparently wants to beef up the inventory, and it leads me to believe that this entity is Amazon, which needs some content for the sports app that it says it wants to do. So I think they've got to add two, and as a result, it makes me think about could they add four. But only, four only works if you have a good reason to make it work. And, 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 and if you're not diluting your current members and I think that's where Fresno State and Boise State are gonna get in trouble because Boise has you know a state in Idaho that only has 517,000 TV households it's not enough doesn't move the needle and Fresno's got 2.7 million TV homes in their total area but I'm gonna give them credit for 2.3 cuz I'm not gonna extend them into Sacramento because you already capture the Sacramento TV market if you're in the Bay Area. So I'm going to say about 2.3 million homes Fresno State could, could add. It's hard to argue with that. Like, that's a number. But there's a problem with Boise State, and there's a problem with Fresno State. Uh, and, and it's a two-headed monster. One of them is they don't have the academic profile that the presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12 love. They're not research institutions. 
Uh, the uh, chancellors and presidents, I think, are going to look down their nose at Boise State, say that was that used to be a community college. I think they're going to look at Fresno State and their uh, you know admission rate, and they're going to say that's not like Cal or Stanford, and they're right. The other problem, the, the second head of that two-headed monster for Fresno State and Boise State is the fact that those schools currently compete with Pac-12 schools for recruits. Fresno State and Boise State are competing against Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona, Cal, Stanford in some cases uh, for some athletes. But, it, you know, you look at that and you go, what is the advantage that, you know, the Pac-12 schools have? Well, they can say to those athletes, hey, we're a Pac-12 school, we're a Power 5. Fresno State and Boise State, they're not a Power 5. You can go play in the Mountain West if you want, but if you want to be in the Pac-12, you've got to come to Oregon State. You've got to come to Washington State. So I have a hard time seeing Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Arizona, and Washington State being okay with Fresno State and Boise State coming into the conference because it levels the playing field from a recruiting standpoint. And if you're Stanford and Cal, you're already in close proximity to Fresno State. You're a few hours away. You're, you're competing for some of the same recruits. Fresno State tries to come into the Bay Area. Boise State tries to come into the Bay Area. Uh, Fresno State tries to go into L.A. a little bit. And I think if you do that, you may be inviting uh, a little bit of uh, trouble from some of your current partners who aren't going to want those schools in the conference. It's why I keep thinking, and I wrote this down as we had our last guest on, as he was talking, I kept thinking, like, you know, if SMU needs a travel partner, it's going to be Rice. It feels more and more like the Houston TV market would be awfully interesting. And then you need a fourth if you're bringing them in. And it's why I keep turning my attention away from Fresno State and Boise State. I'm looking at UNLV now. And, and look, UNLV is interesting. It's not a no-brainer. TV market, under a million households, but growing 77 uh, 757,000 households, rapidly growing. You get an NFL stadium. You get a bunch of sponsorship opportunities from the casino partners. Like, if you're going to add more inventory, and that is your mission, and you have to add four, I think the Rebels become a candidate at that point. So I'm going to rank them. San Diego State is number one. They're a no-brainer. SMU is two. I think they have the academic profile. I think they get you into Texas. Um, my third... I, if I have to pick one, would be Sandy, would be SMU's travel partner. It would be Rice. Why Rice? Think about it. You need to get into Houston? You want to be in Texas in a meaningful way? There's an opportunity to have two schools in Texas. And then my fourth, it's got to be UNLV if we're ranking them one to four. And I think UNLV's got some questions academically that they'd have to answer. But it's a changing game. And if you can get into Vegas, you're not in L.A., but if you're in Texas in a meaningful way, you're in San Diego, and you're in Vegas, you can sell that with a straight face. I think if you take on Boise State or Fresno State, you're starting to dilute. And then you're starting to look more and more like the Mountain West Conference. And look, I've got a soft spot for Fresno State. I worked there. I, got, I, I have all respect in the world for Boise State. But I think it, if those schools are coming in, they're coming in at a discount. And they're coming in just for inventory. And in weird, in a weird twist, I think they actually fit better being part of the Big 12 Conference. Gets the Big 12 into the Pacific time zone. Then, frankly, let's talk about it. They feel more like Midwestern cities when you talk about Fresno. It's been called a Midwestern city in California. Boise, Idaho. 
Uh, I think they're better candidates for the Big 12 at this point. Our Big Splash is coming up. What is it? Stick around. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, will be coming along here in just a few minutes. He's fresh off a plane. What was he doing? We'll find out. Uh, He had a great recruiting class. I'm interested to ask him, how different is the talent that he's seeing right now that he's able to recruit? Because he recruited a class that was unprecedented. And I kind of wonder if the transfer portal is helping Portland State right now because Portland State was able to offer and get commitments from a bunch of high school players that it never could have got before. I just wonder if the portal is eating up all the scholarships and there are a bunch of high school kids floating around out there going, hey, I got nowhere to go. We'll ask, the, we'll ask Barnum about that coming up. Uh, but first, our big splash, and, and it's a slimy one. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Buckby. The Big Splash. Well, get this. The Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA are under investigation. Owner Mark Davis, who owns the Las Vegas Raiders, well, they're under investigation from the WNBA for making under-the-table payment offers to current players and free agents that the team has pursued. Uh, The Aces are not responding to a request for comment on this. But uh, according to those familiar with the allegations, the team essentially is offering potential signees a contract extension and then an under-the-table contract extension, per the story. Uh, WNBA making it to the big time, finally? Like, is this a sign? Is this a sign that the WNBA is a real sports league, that you have a team under investigation for circumventing the salary cap. And anybody's surprised that that team would be owned by Mark Davis of the Las Vegas Aces. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Portland State had a hell of a recruiting class. They did very well. You ever see a fisherman who's fishing off a pier or off the beach or maybe getting off a boat? And uh, you kind of walk by with curiosity. He's got that bucket sitting next to him or he's putting his catch in the bucket or whatnot. And you kind of look into the bucket. And then you say, you make small talk. You go, hey, what are you using? Meaning what kind of bait are you using? That's the conversation I want to have with Bruce Barnum because his bucket was filled after the signing day and national signing day and early signing day. Portland State absolutely cleaned up. Great class. Bruce Barnum's best class ever. A little bit of buzz. How did he do it? How do we explain this? Bruce Barnum is fresh off a plane and he's joining us now on this radio show. You like my fishing analogy for you? You know, thanks for having the bikes, John. 
I was just going to tell you that's the first analogy of yours that your listeners are finally going to bite on. They understand that. That, that was good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I understood it. it. Thank you. I was speaking I was speaking to you, mostly. Um, hey, uh, give us an idea. First of all, where were you? Why are you on a plane? What's going on? Uh, Salt Lake City, head coaches mean Farmington, Utah. Head coaches, uh, Big Sky. Uh, Twelve of us around a table um, for... Uh, a long day of learning, review, where's the conference going, what do we need to do, scheduling, NIL, everything. Um, bam, 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 uh, and then we're out. So just, just landed, like I told you, and just got off the plane. All those little help-you-walk fake, you know, sidewalks made out of steel were broke, so I got my Fitbits in, I'm, you know, I'm ready to rock. Let me ask you, you know, you get around the table with these coaches – you know, on game day, you all want to kill each other. But when you're sitting around, you have a lot of the same issues, a lot of the same obstacles. What kinds of things are you guys talking about? What's on your mind? Well, I, I learned a lot this time again, John, because um, scheduling, for for instance. Um, right now, um, you need to schedule FCS, Division One games, and you need to win to get to the the playoffs that you know is how many division one wins and i can't do it i'm i'm beg borrowing and stealing there's four teams i want to schedule they won't play me but you know just little things i found out what some people in the conference actually pay them you know and <laughs> that's not going to happen so i'm gonna have to beat wyoming and uh, keep oregon under 100 you know that's where i'm at but Bruce. it's interesting because some of them have nil money how they're distributing it you know, um, some interesting things there. They're doing it for grades, some of them, you know, to um, give the guys a trophy if you get a 3.3538 or above, you know, a little NIL money for incentives. So I learned some things besides talking business. Let me ask you, you know, I, the transfer portal is a big deal. In major Division One college football, the Power Fives, the transfer portal is a huge part of what they're doing right now. And I have to think there's a trickle-down effect that might be benefiting you guys and other Big Sky uh, conference teams. How has the portal affected your recruiting? Um, well, you nailed it, John, and you saw it in our class. I saw some things this year I haven't seen before. You know, we offer – you know, we offer the ones we want, and it's kind of a, like you said, how many casts are going to throw before you catch a fish? That's our philosophy. We kept doing it. All of a sudden, they started biting. You know, I don't know if that was a, the pre-spring spawn or what. We had the right bait, but it, it was a portal uh, because I actually offered some um, student-athletes uh, this year that their coaches – um, told them take it now because the, the amount of scholarships being, you know, switched in the portal back and forth to the guy you took last year and the guy that has got one year left here and uh, left some high school student athletes out there uh, with nothing. Actually, we we signed. Get this one, I signed three players. Some they they had some idea about us. I signed them without a trip, John. I've never done that in my life. Without an official trip, we give them their official trip after they sign early signing date. Okay, so what? Um, so what's driving that? If I'm a high school kid, I haven't seen Portland State. Uh, you offer, 
Uh, why am I jumping on that? Division one football. Now the danger, you know, I'm not naive. Uh, I could see a high school coach sitting there telling the family, hey, let's get you to Portland State. You have a bang-up year, you know, um, and then we'll get you to the Pac-12. Then we'll get you to the SEC. Then we'll get you to where you want to be. Uh, I, I understand that. That could be out there. So ready to go. You know, I'm going to have to take care of them and try to get some loyalty going and win some games and make them have so much fun they don't want to leave, you know. I'm already seeing that, so I'm guessing this could just make it worse. Well, but that's kind of like, you know, is it better to have loved and lost or never loved, right? Like, right, you, right, you, right. you got to be okay with it. And you got to be able to say, hey, you come play for me, maybe some of it is development, and maybe they love it so much they stick around. But I also am thinking – are those kids jumping on your scholarship offers because they're afraid that money's going to go away? Like they, they, they're afraid, Hey, I got an offer. I better take it. Yes. And because there's not as many out there. They're not seeing as many. Uh, I don't think uh, just, this is talking to the high school coaches. The, the, the big boys aren't coming through um, as much um, because uh, you know, of the bargaining going on in the portal. Wow. My opinion. Bruce Barnum is with us, Portland State football coach. It's exciting for you guys, though, because I think, you know, you're going to have better players. You're going to have better classes. Uh, you know, the the whole thing. Is it is this conference-wide you're seeing this, or are you guys an outlier, or is it a couple of schools that, when you look at recruiting rankings, that did better than normal? Well, um, my answer, honestly, was A.C. Patterson, and uh, A.C. and T.D. Terry Davis, two guys that, that I hired. I brought AC back, and um, he's my recruiting coordinator, uh, and he coaches on offense. And uh, honestly, uh, John, he is—he can make any any SEC, NFL, Pac-12 recruiting side better. Uh, put my name on it, and you know, I know who, who's there. A lot of the schools, and the guy's nails from his his eval is. You know, it's hard to find a guy, I think, whose evaluation of a, a player on film, not looking at him live, uh, you know, going Memorex, um, watching him on film and being able to say yes, you know, no, maybe. Uh, he's 100% at that. And, um, I added TD to him, whose personality, and I mean, he's a go-getter in recruiting, and those two put this class together. The rest of us just kind of followed them and ran and hung on, and boom, here we are. We got a nice, you know, graphic out there and gives everybody something on the Internet to bitch about, so it was good. Position-wise, uh, you know, where did you clean up? Where do you feel good, especially good about this class? O-line, D-line. That was our priority. I needed some big guys, you know. I went into last year, uh, John and – we banged up again, which just irks my upsets me. And um, I had a freshman on the playing field playing O line. I've started two freshmen in my life as a as a college coach. So I just looked at our depth. And I said it's not what we wanted. You know, we lost guys, and some are going to be back this year. We have some career endings, not career season endings, and we're getting those guys back. So, but I had to fortify up front on both sides. The, you know, it's unusual to, to think that those are the positions you're getting good at because those are the positions that everybody covets, and you, so you're getting right. some big you're getting some big guys. Um, 
it, it makes me excited about the season. Um, you know, it, when will you get a chance to see this in action? Will you get some kids early? Will they be part of spring football? And I know you do spring football earlier than anybody in America, but it's, you know, you tell me, like, how soon can uh, can you get eyes on these guys? Two coming in early. Um, and when they get here, I want to get them enrolled in that before I brag about them. Um, because they're, they're actually portal guys. My portal, I have two portal guys coming in early. Um, and you got to kind of hide those so they get enrolled, you know. Um, but one's up front and one will be running catching the ball and scoring a thousand touchdowns so those guys join us early the rest uh will be here uh for camp in the summer it's exciting man like you know you must have it is did you realize what was happening or is it only until after you kind of look back and you go hey we're getting we're getting in places and we're talking to kids that maybe we couldn't have talked to before did you notice that right away or did it take a little bit of time for that to set in uh, the first signing date, um, we had a couple. We we got some guys in that. I'm like, wow, well, we haven't signed a, somebody at this position, um, that caliber in a few moons. Um, then we ran with it. You know, we, we already had our sights high, but all of a sudden, like I said, we kept plugging. And um, again, I'll say AC Patterson and TD again. They're, they're magic. They can get. They can look at a twit and get a guy on the phone in like 26 seconds. I'm, I don't know how to do it. I follow people; they don't follow me back. You know that they do it and MDM and or, and it's all of a sudden, bam! I got the kid on the phone. We're in the house. We're signing him. You know, or or we're investigating, and he's investigating us. So um, it was fun. It was a fun run. It cost me a bunch of tomahawks. You know, I had to thank these guys. You can't just yeah. sit back. And, yeah, oh, let's go into that. I read that, you know, and Tyson Alger wrote about the tomahawk steak. Uh, explain to our audience what a tomahawk is, and uh, and then let's talk about that party that you guys had or that get-together to celebrate you guys had at the end. Nobody's smoking cigars like Dan Lanning, but you had steaks. No, cigars, you know, I, I didn't open the bar up that, that, that far, John. I mean, I'm on a budget, but... Um, a tomahawk steak, I actually found out, all it is is a rib steak, and they didn't cut it off the bone just looking at it. Um, but it looks like, you know, I mean, you pick, it's a Fred Flintstone steak. If you ever watch. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's dating, my, that's dating myself. Nobody. I got those it. Those yeah. probably canceled, but. It's like a, um, it's like a, it's like a big, it's like a big ribeye. It's, it's a ribeye. That's what I mean. Is that what yeah. I said? It's a big ribeye still on the rib. It's yeah. on a rib bone. So it almost looks like a drumstick if you picked up the rib bone. Yes, it's unanimous. It's just it's, it's a it's paddle. Huge. It's like a pickleball paddle, more or less, but made of meat. Yes, yes. And clobber somebody with that. Yeah. Medium, medium rare. You'll be throwing you know juice all over the court. I love Ball that. Ball be sticking. All right, what style of play. Are you uh, are you gonna you know you, coaches always adapt. You know, you see what you have coming in. You see what's on the roster. At what point do you do you tweak what you're doing? Do you stay the same identity-wise? When when does Bruce Barnum and his staff make up their mind of you know what's this team going to be like on offense and defense? That's what we dive into now, John. You know, recruiting is never over, uh, but um, now we'll start assigning. Okay, where were we at the beginning? How do we end up here? Everything from 
schematics to personnel coming in to personnel coming back uh, to personnel coming off injury. You know, uh, you put all those pieces together and say, okay, what are we best at? Is it one back, two back, three back, no back, five tight ends, two tight ends? You know, how are we going to move the ball? What are we going to be? Are we going to be a no huddle? You know, how are we going to work this? I went, and the one thing I went business-wise, I wish they would do this, Gonzalo, but I want a uh, microphone in the in the uh, helmet of the quarterback like the NFL has just to speed up signals and all the, you know, bam. But uh, I'm getting off base. But that's when we come off this time period to go into spring, and we might push spring back a little bit just to get make sure we know what we want to do. But this is the time uh, that that takes place. Why can't you get a microphone in the helmet of the quarterback? Is that a league rule? You know what they told me? They told what? me liability. Liability. If, <laughs> if, if you're my quarterback, and I'm talking to you right, and you get hurt, and it's something to do with your head, I just heard this. They just told me this. That it could be a, a you know a lawsuit that you got hurt because of the radio in your head. I'm like, who well, said that? The, the big sky I, say I, that? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna tell you. You're gonna but tell me your, who said your it. Reaction, you your reaction, your reaction is exactly <laughs> what I said at the damn table. Though I said, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> really?" I said, NFL doesn't, we can't because of liability. What the, li- the liability is called football. That's the, li- the liability is 6'5", 270 on the other side right. of the line, you right. know? Protect him or that's going to happen. I don't care if you got a radio up your um, yeah. back end, you know? So. What have you been catching? But, are, you fish- are you fishing right now? No, no, no. What are you hunting? You're not doing anything. What are you doing? You're just coaching, just doing I'm your si- job. I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a garage, John. I just I barely made it to my car before because I was, I was in there and I didn't want to be on your show and, you know, uh, Delta Flight oh, 498 yeah. is departing. Everybody know where I'm at. You know. Do a, you go first road. class? Do you go first class, Salt Lake City? Only in my mind, you know. In my you mind, should, I do. You should be in first class. No. Let me talk no. to your AD. I'll get your AD on the show. <laughs> talking about. I've done first class before. But now, like when we get those charters, yeah. I get one and a half charters a year. I stick all the big guys up on the old line, D-line. You put the brass up there, you know. I like that. Um, but no, I don't need first class. I'd rather have a row, you know. I'm big on that. If you can get the whole row and the things flip up and stretch mm-hmm. out, yeah. you know, that's better than first class. You just don't get a, a free toddy for the body. There you go. Uh, Bruce Barnum, congratulations on the recruiting class. It's a big win. Look forward to see these guys on the field and possibly at Camp Exceptional this summer helping out. But, uh, oh, we'll be there. We'll be there. Hey, hey uh, nice job. Uh, you know, I, I felt you. bad that we didn't give you a victory lap, and so I think people need to know Portland State. Now, help me with the branding of this. Is this the best class west of the Mississippi for, uh, you know, what what are we talking about? Well, they came up with there's a ranking. There's a couple people in 247. This is coming from AC. They rank you, you know. And yeah. uh, he was saying all that. There's a couple schools back east. I said, you know, to hell, just say best class west of the Mississippi. And he jumped on it. And then he made the thing up, you know, the graphic. And there was no river. I said nobody's gonna understand that. So he put a river in there, you know. <laughs> um, 
So, no, it was fun. If nothing else, creates a little buzz. You know, now we got to yeah. get to work. Now you got to toughen them up, make sure they know where they're going. That's the fun part. Listen, it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see you guys in uh, in in it's interesting times in college football, and I'm glad Portland State has found a lane to be successful in because that class, when I saw it, I had the same reaction as other people. I went, they're getting guys they didn't used to get. This is interesting. Right, right. So, no, thanks for having the bikes, John. I appreciate it. You bet. Go home now. You can get out of the garage. On my way, on my way. All right. Bruce Burnham, there he is, live via satellite in the parking garage at Portland International Airport. Uh, really good stuff. He's a beauty, isn't he? Steven is a beauty. Bruce Barnum. He is a beauty. I don't think he's ever been called that to his face. Like, nobody's going to say that. But, like, what I love having him on because it's just always dicey. It's always interesting. That's how you should introduce him next time. The beauty, Bruce Barnum. He's a beauty. We'll say that. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I couldn't help but watch LeBron last night break that record. And not be left thinking about Phil Knight sitting next to Bronny James uh, down on the court. For people who know, Phil Knight was the older gentleman in his 80s who was courtside, who was actually watching history. Everybody else in the arena was recording history on their phones like they were at a, uh, uh, you know, they were at a uh, Bruce Springsteen concert uh, or they were at uh, a Justin Timberlake concert and uh, wanted to be able to have some video to show their friends. Uh Bronny James sitting next to Phil Knight is interesting to me. Oregon has not yet offered Bronny James. Uh, I'm not sure Dana Altman wants that headache. I've talked to high school coaches who have watched Bronny play and practice who tell me uh, that he is overrated. Uh, Of course he's overrated. He probably wouldn't be a McDonald's All-American if LeBron wasn't his dad, but, you know, that's the name of the game right now. Um, I, I kind of think Bronny sitting next to Phil kind of says if LeBron James wants Bronny at Oregon, he's probably going to end up at Oregon. Like, I just think there's a, uh, an interesting relationship there. It's an interesting pairing to see Phil Knight in his eighties sitting courtside watching history with LeBron's kids sitting right next to him. Everybody else had to notice that as well. But, I, again, I keep coming back to Dana Altman, age 64, what he wants to do with Oregon basketball, and, oh, by the way, does that fit? Now, I'm not saying these things can't coexist. Like, it's possible that Bronny could be a good defensive player. I've talked to some other people that, you know, I – I talked to three high school coaches who have seen him play. We had Eric Sondheimer, the L.A. Times prep reporter, come on the show, and he said, admittedly, uh, if it's not LeBron James' kid, there are more deserving kids in the L.A. area that could have been McDonald's All-Americans. But I think um, that said, look, we've seen kids surprise. We've seen kids blossom. The fact that he's LeBron's son, you can't ignore that. I mean, it's obviously going to get a lot of attention there. 
But, you know, keep in mind, too, that one of Phil Knight's other loves is Ohio State. He's got multiple loves. He loves Oregon. Went to school there. Obviously, he's present. He's around the program. He also loves Stanford. Got his uh, MBA at Stanford. And uh, has uh, he and his wife, Penny, have, have donated generously to Stanford Business School and whatnot. Uh, but the other place he has popped up over time is Ohio State. He was around the Urban Meyer Ohio State program. He was in the locker room. Uh, it, you know, there were several times where I kind of wondered if Ohio State was his pro team and Oregon was his college team. And I mean that with respect to Oregon. Like, you know, Ohio State at that time was playing for national championships and Phil Knight was in the locker room. And I was like, what is going on here? And, you know, so I kind of wonder if Bronny having an offer from Ohio State, is that the connection with Phil? Or should we expect Bronny James to end up playing for Dana Altman? Um, I did have one high school coach tell me he thought Bronny was the most overrated prospect in America. I had another say, he's not a great offensive player, but I could see him as a good rotation player who could play some defense for you and come off the bench. Now, if he's willing to do that, fine. And if, and if look, if he, if he goes to college like most kids and most parents go, hey, coach, you're the coach of the team, take care of my kid, and then they sit back and let the coach do their job, that's fine. What you don't want at Oregon is you don't want Dana Altman next season coming off this season where he, you know, the program has been littered by injuries. It is the number one Pac-12 team when you talk about games lost to rotation players missing games. Oregon has had 34 games that were lost uh, by, uh, you know, rotation players who missed 34 games, more or less. I'm convoluting that, but... Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting question for Phil Knight, for Oregon, for Dana Altman. Is he, and I mean he, Bronny, willing to come in and really be coached? If he is, it you know, it, it, and if if nobody's in Dana Altman's ear going, this kid needs to play, then it's fine. But I also think I had another coach tell me Dana Altman's not going to play him if he can't play. He'll be on the team, but. There's no coach in America that's going to play a player just because it's LeBron's son. I I hope that's true. I think we'd find out pretty quickly. But I could not ignore the fact that Phil Knight was sitting courtside next to Bronny and Bryce, uh, LeBron's uh, sons. I think it was really interesting. Leave it here. Anna's going to pop into the studio coming up next. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We talked about this off the top of the show. I want to revisit it a little bit. LeBron James made history last night, became the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Here's how it sounds. Looking for James. He's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter, LeBron James has shot in history. LeBron stands alone. The NBA's all-time scoring record now belongs to LeBron James. 
I didn't love the call. I don't like the LeBron stands alone. The moment was big enough. Uh, off the top of the show, I asked uh, Stephen and Peter, and I shared myself the things that I was thinking about. Uh, one of them was all the cell phones that people were holding up recording this event, and except for Phil Knight, who basically was watching. Like, you know, he was old school, just kind of enjoying it. Uh, I want to know what your takeaways were as you watched history with LeBron. What kinds of things were on your mind? Where was your head as you watched LeBron uh, make history last night. 503-417-7575. There's no wrong answer here. It's whatever you were thinking about. Were you thinking about the fact that people were holding up phones? Uh, did it bother you that they stopped the game with, you know, just uh, some ticks left on the clock in the third quarter and just said, hey, we're going to stop right here? Did it bother you that the Lakers lost the game? Did it bother you that Kareem and LeBron don't have this warm relationship, that, you know, they're just not, Not all that close. Like, where was your mind when you hear this news or as you absorb this news? Now, Anna, you have been lamenting for weeks and weeks that LeBron seems to be the subject of a headline every single day. Like, he manages to get himself in the headline. But I kind of think some of that, isn't it some of that on the media? And wasn't it some of this because everybody knew LeBron was trending towards history? So... You know, news editors, uh, you know, morning meetings, they're going, hey, we need a LeBron story today. We need a LeBron story every day until he breaks the record. Like, where do you think, how do you think that factored into the coverage of LeBron in the last couple of weeks? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, that's the directive that's handed out at editorial meetings. But also when you say things like, yeah, I'm the best basketball player of all time. I'm the greatest of all time. Yes, that's me. Um, that's intended to generate discussion and uh, reshares on Twitter. And so I, I, it's it's not that it bothers me. It's just I'm almost in awe and marveling at the fact that he has managed to top the headlines in some manner for an extended period of time. Like whoever is managing his brand and his marketing is doing a stellar job. Like the the rise, the on ramp to this moment last night was uh, was carried off very well. Now Kareem and LeBron don't have this warm relationship. LeBron was asked before the season, uh, you know, what kind of relationship he has with Kareem, and LeBron said he has no relationship, no thoughts, and he left it at that. It's icy. Uh, Kareem addressed that today, and he said, LeBron was right. We don't have a relationship. He said, uh, and I put that on myself. He said he's not, you know, and this is Kareem who issued a written statement. He said, I have never been a chummy, reaching out kind of guy. I'm quiet, shy, and I'm a devoted homebody, so much so that you'd think I have agoraphobia. I like to read, watch TV, and listen to jazz. That's pretty much it. For the past 15 years, my focus has been less on forming new relationships than on nurturing old friendships with people like Magic, Michael Cooper, Jerry West, so on. Now, Kareem's also 75, LeBron's 38, and Kareem said he maybe could have reached out to LeBron because he knew the pressure he was under, and maybe I could have eased that a little bit, but he said, I saw LeBron had a friend and a mentor in Kobe. And I was just an empty jersey in the rafters. I couldn't imagine why he'd want to hang out with someone twice his age. How many do? 
Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Uh, that's pretty honest. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, I, I always think it's hilarious when we, the public, think that celebrities, superstars, sports stars should all have this uh, relationship with one another. Like, oh, you're famous and you're famous, so you guys should be friends, right? When that's not really you know, the reality of things. Like, it's okay for them to have their separate lives and to, you know, maintain their own superstardom and not necessarily be, like, grabbing coffee together and chumming it up all the time. Do you think that, that like, I think Kareem's doing the gracious thing, saying it was on him. Obviously, it's a relationship. It works two ways. Part of, his, part of it is LeBron. Part of it is Kareem. Like, you know, I think LeBron has some responsibility here. If he wanted a better relationship with Kareem, couldn't he have reached out and said, hey, uh, you know, I, I would like to uh, pick your brain in the off season." Like LeBron reached out to Warren Buffett. Like, yeah. You know, he could have reached out to Kareem too. Yeah. Well, I mean, Two like, ways. in Asian culture, that's how it would be done. You wouldn't be criticizing Kareem at all, ever, for not reaching out to the younger person and trying to establish a relationship. It would be on LeBron completely to be like, hey, why aren't you paying respect to your elders in this uh, industry that you're in? I'm also, <laughs> uh, and I said this to you last night, as, you know, the, the photos and the videos of all the people holding up phones at the game came out. And I don't want to sound, I'm trying to tread lightly here, because I don't want to sound like an old man on my lawn here. But <laughs> it, it bothered me a little bit to see all the people trying to hold their phones up and to see Phil Knight in his 80s. Just doing it old school. Like, you know what Phil Knight was doing? He was having a memory. He was so making... So wait, which bothered you? The fact that everybody else had their phone yeah, up? Yeah, all these like, people holding one, their phones up. Like, watch the damn moment. One woman who looks moment. like she's in her late 30s behind Phil Knight. It's like the two of them and then everyone else. Soulmates, yeah, those yeah. two. Yeah, But But it's like, it's almost like... I, I And I get it. I think if one person holds up their phone, like, kidding the moment, the person next to him goes, oh, I better do that too. And then pretty soon everybody's holding up a phone like they're at a, you know, they're at a U2 concert. Okay. Oh, okay. So a subject. But, uh, <laughs> Touchy, would you not? I have to call you on that. Because if you were in that crowd, no. whether you were a spectator no. or a member of the media present, you would not also have had your phone up to try Mm-mm. and capture it? Give Mm-mm. me a break. I wouldn't have. No. I've been in moments like that, and I've thought after, oh, should I have recorded that? And I often will go to the stadium and not record anything with my phone. I will watch the damn game because I want to see the game. I can't watch what's happening while simultaneously going, is it in frame? Uh, Do I have the best shot? Is this guy in front of me? Is his phone in my shot? Like, you can't do that. A moment like like that, you wouldn't have felt compelled to reach in your pocket and at least capture it. Because everyone else was doing it. But (laughs) I also think we, our culture... We spend a lot of time holding our phones. Look, you know, like you tell me, like the house is on fire. What are you grabbing? It used to be people, people go, "I'm going to grab the photo albums. I'm going to grab, you know, the family, uh, you know, my grandmother's heirloom, whatever, fill in the blank, and I'm going to make sure the kids and the pets are out of the house." You know what people are grabbing today? Their phones. They're they're grabbing their phone and <laughs> running out of the house. It's the most important thing, and like you know. Just watch people. It's because they have that sweet LeBron video on it. They don't want to lose it. It's uploaded to the cloud. I get it. What are you doing with that video? What is everybody doing with that video? They're going to go post it on the gram or on TikTok or whatever, and they're going to be like, 
I was there. Uh-huh. I was there. Right. Just take a picture of yourself by the court prior to the game in your seat, and mm-hmm. you can tell your friends, I was at the game, and LeBron hit it, and guess what? It was a beautiful thing, and I just watched it, and I got chills. Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. You were looking at your phone. You weren't even looking at what was really happening. Mm-hmm. You can't watch the event through your phone. You can't. If, you, if that's what you're doing, you might as well be at home watching on TV. Mm-hmm. Do I sound like an old person on my lawn? Just a little bit. I, d- mm. I think there's a large contingent of people who would agree with you in theory, but I challenge anyone to be in that situation and not feel compelled to also I, record it in some way. It's not how I roll. It's not. I, be- I have been a lot of places where I will film something or I'm at a game or something, and I'll go, hey, I'm at the game. I should take a picture here in the stadium mm-hmm. and put it on Instagram or put it on, you know, Twitter or whatnot, but if I'm watching a game, I'm not pulling my phone out to record the moment that I'm supposed to be watching, unless I'm, you know, I I sometimes do this because from a journalistic standpoint, if I want to paint a picture of the scene, Mm -hmm. I will sometimes, like the other night I was in Salt Lake City, and the Cal team was leaving the Huntsman Center, the Huntsman, John Huntsman Center, and they were leaving on a charter bus. Yeah. I walked out to the bus. I took a picture of the bus. I'm sure the Cal players on the bus are like, what What the hell is this guy doing taking a picture of our bus? Mm-hmm. I wanted to, if I had to later describe the bus, yeah. what color it was, how many seats it had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some detail of the bus, I wanted to have the picture of it so I could refer back to it to make sure I was accurate. But I'm not, I'm not at a game taking the picture going, you know what, I need to have this. It's the same thing at the concert. We were at this stupid Elton John concert in Vegas years ago. Remember, we wanted you want to go see Elton John? You've never seen him. Mm-hmm. We went there. He was retiring. It was his farewell tour. This guy in front of me was recording the whole concert. Did he watch any of it? Was he at the concert, or was he just looking at his phone the whole time? Well, there was that guy, and then there was the other lady in front of us that was FaceTiming with somebody uh, who was like at their kitchen table eating a bowl of cereal yeah. And enjoying Elton John via that lady, via FaceTime. I want, I want our listeners to tell me what you make of this. Is this something you do at sporting events and concerts? Do you film the whole damn thing? If so, why? Does it drive you crazy? If so, why? I think there's a happy medium. I'm okay with people taking But didn't they know like the picture, the video of LeBron hitting that shot is going to be everywhere? Mm-hmm. And I saw this great post where it had, you know, Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals rising up to hit the game-winning shot, and it had LeBron last night. They're side-by-side. Side. The faces of the Utah Jazz fans that are in the arena watching Jordan just break their back, nobody's holding up a phone because there, no, there were no phones. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's humanity. And now our culture has become, you know, I got to get it on my phone. I got to get a picture of it. Got to take a picture. Got to always have the picture of it. I, I don't know. It drives me nuts. Mark's in Canby. Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Yeah, um, when I was in Italy a few years ago, we took our gondola ride, and it's super funny that it's a great place. It's a great show, you know, when you're on the boat, and people are constantly taking pictures. My wife and I were like, we're just going to enjoy this. And right. our friends that were with us, they were taking pictures left and right. But it was like, this is fun. Let's just in the we got a couple of pictures, but it was like, I'm not going to film the whole thing. I feel that way about concerts. I've seen people 
literally filmed the whole concert using their phone. And I'm like, you weren't really at the concert, man. You were, uh, you were just watching it on your phone. Jesse's in Klamath Falls. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I could not be more on Team Canzano's side here. This drives me nuts. Um, when I saw that picture, I shoved it in my son's face, and I'm like, don't be these people. <laughs> um, I, I took him to his very first 49er game as a big Christmas present this year. We went and saw the final home game. And I was pleased with my parenting because he just got his first iPhone. He's 12. And he sat there with a big grin on his face with eyes the size of saucers the whole game and didn't take a single picture. I snapped some for him and everything because I've kind of beat into their heads, both my kids. Experience it live. Take a couple memento photos, but be there for it. Be present for it. So I'm 100% on your side. Thank you for that. It's a knockout. The jury has spoken. I win. Jury of what? I win. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, hey, look, I don't, I don't blame people who want to take a take a picture. That's fine, but, but, do you really think, like, when you look at that photo, and, and if you have a chance to look at the photo of everybody there, I'm going to retweet that Michael Jordan, uh, you know, and uh, LeBron side by side shot. So if you follow me on Twitter at John Canzano BFT, you can see it. But. Ask yourself as you look at the people who are photographing LeBron with their own iPhone 11 or whatever they're using. Ask yourself, are they really going to get a quality shot from where they're sitting? <laughs> like, what do you, you're going to get a shot of a, the back of everyone's head and the back of everybody else's cell phone. You know, it's, to me, Phil Knight, I think, got it right. He's sitting in the front row. He's wearing his traditional black sport coat. He's sitting by Bronny and Bryce James. And Phil Knight is doing what any rational human being should be doing. He's watching history. And he's going to go home. Penny's going to go, well, how was it? And Phil's going to be like, it was amazing. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. I, man, it was so awesome to be there. And if you want to see it, Penny, there's a million photos on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> And by the way, most of them are bad. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I saw a weird story today, a uh, coffee story made me think about concessions at sporting events but uh there's a coffee company um in portland that uh was selling a cup of coffee today for 150 dollars a cup did you hear about this no why proud mary coffee roasters uh has a location in portland and a location in austin texas uh the portland location had 11 cups of coffee to sell the Austin Cafe had another 11. Uh, the cups were sold at $150 per cup. Now, this is a black jaguar geisha coffee that comes from Panama. It won first place in the 2022 Best of Panama competition, which is, by the way, the most prestigious coffee competition in the world. Okay. Does not taste like traditional coffee. 
has the potential to taste like bubble gum or Fruit Loops. What? According to the uh, owner of the coffee shop. Now, they sold out of the 11 cups of coffee, and so did the Austin Cafe. It was uh, coffee lovers or people who wanted the uh, experience of having a $150 cup of coffee. Um, there were uh, there were a lot of people who shook their heads, and I think a lot of you are shaking your head at this story. What's your immediate reaction to that uh, I'm, story? I'm actually shaking my head. It's one of those things where I'm going to sound real sophisticated here. Yep. Um, but coffee and wine, like I... How good can a $150 cup of coffee really taste? Is it that much more special than a $3 cup of coffee, a $1.50? It's probably not $150 more special. But, you know, know, it's like uh, Uma Thurman and John Travolta in uh, Pulp Fiction. You know, I got to taste the $5 milkshake. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? It's But, okay, this reminds me of a story. We were in Maui years ago. And you were in the news business. Yeah. Remember this? No, I have no idea you where you're going with business. this. And you were in the news business. And you had a news director who was a big coffee oh, freak. Oh, yes. Okay, now. This is a big ordeal yeah. on our vacation. But, you know, you... No, it was... It, yeah, it was Maui. She was... Yeah, because yeah, it was... Yeah. It was we. Your news director said something about, oh, I love Kona coffee. Yeah. She was a big coffee aficionado. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. And... So while we're on this vacation, you were like, I need to buy her a bag of Kona coffee. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've shopped for co- real Kona coffee, but I hadn't. I thought, you know, what is it? Yeah. Like a $15 bag of coffee, whatnot? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. This was like a $78 bag of That's coffee. Right. <laughs> I was a little bit offended. It's probably $100 now. It probably was, you know. Oh, my But gosh. I had a hard time. Buying one pound of coffee that costs that much money. I was like, yeah. is there gold in this? Yeah. Is there a diamond in the bottom of the coffee bag? What is in this coffee? It can't be that good. It can't possibly be that good. And so we bought this stupid bag of Kona coffee yeah. for your boss. Yeah. We brought it all the way back from Hawaii. What was I doing? And you gave it I'm to her. Sucking up to the boss. Yeah. That's what I was doing. You gave her this bag of hey, I just picked up this thing of coffee. You didn't tell her like, you know, it's yeah. like a hundred dollar, eighty dollar bag of coffee. Yeah. And uh And I'll be honest with you, I expected a much bigger reaction. Right. I remember because yeah. I asked you, what did she say? Right. And it turned out that she was a Keurig person. <laughs> she was underwhelmed by the coffee. Yeah. There was no big reaction. When somebody buys you a $78 bag of coffee, even if you don't like it, you should feign a big reaction. Like, this is, oh, this is exactly what I wanted. This is the great, it was outstanding coffee. And I remember I said to you, what was her reaction? What was her reaction? And you said, well, she hasn't tried it yet. And then the next day you said, she came back and said, eh, it was all right. (laughs) She likes her Keurig better. And I was like, give me the coffee back, lady. I would like to taste this coffee. Do you remember? Did we keep the price tag on it just to let her know how much it cost? I don't like, know if we did, like but we should have. classy people? We should have left it on. Oh, we I didn't should've. see that. It was we on the bottom of the bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephen, if I give you a $78 bag of coffee, you're raving to me after. Yeah, it was the best coffee I ever had. It was phenomenal. Thanks for being so thoughtful. Yeah, I didn't even, even, you hated it. I didn't even come up with some backstory like, oh, I've heard about this. Like, this is supposed to be really good. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I would definitely do that.
That's the gracious thing to do. Peter, you would do it. I gave you a $78 bag of Kona coffee. You'd be like, hey, thanks. That's awesome. Absolutely. And there's no way, even if I thought it was terrible, I'm lying. I'm smiling. I'm slapping you on the back. Thank you so much. Yes. You know, that reminds me. Peter gave us a really nice bottle of wine once. Peter, oh, did you drink I that don't yet? know that we properly expressed it was how the best much wine I ever we had. enjoyed yeah. that wine. To you. I'm so glad. That was a, that was a studiously chosen. That was a yeah. specific bottle. Even yeah. when the bottle was empty, I poured water into it, swirled it around, <laughs> and then drank the water. That's how good that wine was. And we're not sophisticated by any means when it comes to wine. You should never do that again. We don't know the difference. The 5 at 5 is next. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Anna's all fired up now. The 5 at, five at five's coming along. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee off the uh, instant coffee maker or whatever we're drinking. What are we drinking? How, how much is that bag of coffee that that we buy that you probably get on Amazon. What are we what are we paying for a bag of coffee these days? Uh no more than twelve or thirteen dollars. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I don't need a hundred and fifty dollar cup of coffee. You nixed the Costco brand, which I tried to slide under nah. the radar for a while because that was even cheaper and you were like, what is this? What is this crap? So you were discerning that enough at that time. Well to me Here's the other thing. If I'm having a $150 cup of coffee, can I put sugar and cream in it? <laughs> or am I just, or am I ruining to, it? You have to do it espresso style. No, because I, here's how I would do it. I'd be like, I'd like to have one of these $150 cups of coffee that you're serving. And uh, can I get a uh, couple of pumps of classic syrup in there? <laughs> little splash of half and half. No, you have to drink uh, it black like a cowboy. People would be horrified. Right. They'd just be horrified. I don't know, man. People are weird. But I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk this one up in the category of people are weird. That happens, okay? Well, the oldest daughter's boyfriend is a coffee aficionado. He's got one of those like chemistry set coffee makers. But you think he's kind of showing off? He when carries he does that? no. He genuinely enjoys it and is a like a coffee nerd. Goes to a new town, immediately has to hit up coffee shops. But as the dad, I, I need to push back a little bit That here. sounds like Excuse a flex. You. It sounds like a flex. Yeah. I think he's showing off. He yeah. does. He has one of those, like, Chemex <laughs> fancy coffee things. Well, we saw this because we invited him camping with us, okay? And he pulled out his coffee apparatus <laughs> and brewed himself a cup of coffee, you know, and I thought, okay. You're, you're trying to show us how grown up you are. I get it. <laughs> Let's see. The rest of us are over here with a tin can trying to get coffee out of it. Oh, I love that kid. Yeah. He's got like the soul of a 65-year-old man in a 20-year-old body. I guarantee you that kid would not have been recording with his cell phone no. at the game. No, he doesn't. Have you ever texted that kid? No, yeah. He doesn't text you back? I know, yeah. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't know he got a text. <laughs> He's I I appreciate that. See? See? You like him more than you realize. Put, put that one in the win column. Mm -hmm. We'll put the rest in the uh, to be determined column. Are you sure you do, he just doesn't want to text you back? <laughs> That's also possible, <laughs> could be. but could be the thing. 
Uh, that brings us to the five at five. Anna's ready to go. You ready to go? <sighs> I'm you never ready? really ready, but the what am I supposed to say? It's happening anyway. Biggest stories as Anna sees them. Let's do it. The five at five. Number one, top of the list, Anna. Where are you going? LeBron's historic night delivers record engagement in the media. Three million viewers saw this happen last night. The most watched regular season game on TNT, except for opening night, in nearly five years. The game peaked with 3.7 million viewers from 11.45 to midnight Eastern time when LeBron actually hit that record-breaking shot. And uh, in addition to that, NBA social and digital platforms generated 200 25 million video views. They broke the internets. Good for the NBA. Good for LeBron. Uh, that's a lot of viewers for a game for a, a you know a midweek NBA game to have, to peak at 3.7 million viewers. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, Adam Silver and his league are gonna draft off that. It's not their season, but. You know, for Laker fans, I don't think it was that big a night for Laker fans. Like, yeah, there was LeBron after the game talking about, you know, no matter what jersey I wear, you know, I still think I have two years left. Like, basically, I don't need to be here. Yet Anthony Davis on the bench, was he pouting? Was he mad that LeBron, LeBron thinks he should be traded? Uh, I think there's a, a lot of questions. And then Russell Westbrook arguing with his coach. Uh, basically saying trade me without saying trade me. Uh, you know, weird night for the Lakers. Great night for LeBron in the NBA. Number two in the five at five. I'm just staying on the LeBron train okay. uh, temporarily because you know that's the day to do it. Uh, the celebration didn't end at Crypto Arena. Uh, several of his teammates, as well as a bunch of other celebrities, hit an LA hotspot after the game to keep the party going. Folks like Patrick Beverly, hmm. Kelly Rowland, Corey Gamble. I don't understand what he's done besides be, like, part of the Kardashian contingent. But anyway, they went to this place called Le Fleur Room in West Hollywood uh, to honor LBJ. There was a giant cake that had his face on it and, um, I guess, a stuffed goat. Oh, yeah. You gotta, yeah. You got to have a stuffed goat goat because he's the goat yeah you know but he's not the goat he's not the goat he's the all-time leading scorer in nba history okay take it lebron but you're not michael jordan you know i would have really liked to see michael jordan walk into the room and say give me that stuffed goat and walk out where was michael jordan last night michael jordan last night was out plotting his return to the game probably (laughs) so he could come back and score fifty thousand points Number three in our five at five. Uh, have you seen the pictures of ex-NFL star Vontae Davis? So he got in this crash. He crashed his Tesla uh, Saturday morning. Uh, this was uh, in Broward County, Florida. Okay. It's really kind of bizarre. There's a, pictures of him that look like he's unconscious or asleep next to all the wreckage of the cars shortly after the accident uh the other car i guess he rammed uh his tesla into the back of a toyota truck and it appears that he's just like the former indianapolis colts defensive back was balled up with his head laying in his hands and his eyes closed on the side of a freeway now he was arrested 
and and uh, and released. I think they're charging him with misdemeanor DUI. Yes. In this case, yes. right? Yes. So he admitted he had drinks. He did not remember the crash, and he almost killed somebody. Yes. Not good. No. None of this is good. Not good. I I will say this though about Tesla. I've seen a couple of stories. Yeah. In the news, including one really sad story about a guy who drove off a cliff in California with everyone in the car. Yes. And everybody survived. Oh. And I don't know if Tesla can, like, can they, they can't have it, they can't use that as a marketing thing, right? They can't say, hey, look at the, all these horrible accidents and our people are doing okay in these cars. But I kind of was like, you know what? That's really interesting. This isn't like a Subaru commercial, but, you know, these cars appear to be fairly safe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As long as they're not self-driving. Number three in the five at five. <laughs> Um, this is a weird one. Oklahoma high school basketball game ends with a final score of four to two. Good game. Six points total scored in the entire four-quarter game between Weatherford High School and Anadarko High School. Uh, I have so many questions. I'm I'm so excited <laughs> to hear what you say next. Now, part of this story is so 40 states, including Oklahoma. High school basketball does not have a shot clock, oh. meaning the teams can hold on to the ball as long as they desire without being penalized for it. So, uh, you know, in this exciting match, Weatherford came out, scored a basket pretty early in the game to go up 2-0, to zero, but then Anna Darko held on to the ball until halftime. Wait a minute. They just <laughs> held the ball till halftime? Yeah. They just continued to pass the ball and didn't even appear to want to take a shot. This is so strange. That is... How is this acceptable? Okay, I'm looking at the story now in the Butler County Times. So, Anna Darko's players, they're down to zip. Yeah. They hold the ball till halftime, but then Weatherford scores off a steal with 2.40 left in the game to go up four zip, and that feels like an insurmountable lead. <laughs> In this game, for zip. Yeah. But apparently, you know, Anadarko scored later to make it 4-2 and then tried to shoot a three at the buzzer. Yeah. To win 5-4 and they missed. Yeah. Yeah. This How is exciting ridiculous. would that have been if that three-pointer had gone in? Can you imagine, like, all the parents who now currently go out to their kid's soccer game or softball game or wherever they go and they're like, you know, they tell their friends, oh, what'd you do yesterday? And, oh, I was at my kid's youth soccer tournament. And everybody kind of understands, hey, that could be, sometimes that can be a long day. But this game, <laughs> is anybody awake at the end? Steven, what do you think about a 4-2 to two game that with only four shots taken in the game? Yeah, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Um, I remember because in Oregon, there's no shot clock. Oh, and, really? Yeah. At least when I played, I mean, that was a long time ago. But okay. uh, I remember we went to California for a uh, for a tournament, and they had a shot clock, and it was so much better. And then when you get to college with the shot clock, it's so much better. Like that should be a rule in all of high school. There should be a shot clock because that is uh, it's embarrassing. Really, it's really embarrassing just for the game of basketball. Like, that's terrible. Totally agree. Really embarrassing. What are we on? Four. Yep. 
Number four. That's the hardest part, isn't yeah. it? Just yeah. keeping track. Number four. Uh, the NFL Network will not have commentator Michael Irvin on for the remainder of Super Bowl week. A woman complained about an interaction the two had on Sunday night. She has not spoken publicly about it. NFL media hasn't provided any details about what happened, but Irvin's telling the Dallas Morning News there was absolutely no sexual wrongdoing. The Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver said this happened in a hotel lobby Sunday night after he had dinner with former Cowboy Michael Brooks. Irvin said the only physical part of the encounter was a handshake, but otherwise the public conversation was short and under a minute long. Uh, he claims they talked for about 45 seconds. They shook hands and he left, and that's all he knows. The, you know, apparently, after he got to his room, he said he went up to his room after the interaction. They, the hotel called him and said they had to move him. He must have said something. Done something. He says he doesn't remember exact yeah. details of what they talked uh, about. Doesn't know the woman's name. Doesn't recall the conversation. Yeah. He's perplexed on why he's getting pulled from the bike. All right. Yeah, he said something. You don't just pull somebody from the broadcast for saying nothing. He doesn't remember, but uh, Glendale police said they have no knowledge of this either. This is weird. I need to know more. Maybe he needs a, one of those uh, isolation darkness retreats. During Super Bowl week, Michael Irvin and Aaron Rodgers stumbling around in the in the dark, trying to figure out where the restroom is. Number five in our five at five. Well, Roger Goodell is uh, praising NFL officials. You know, it was a great oh, year, according to him. He says this season constituted success. This is at a press conference today. Isn't Super Bowl week fun? He said, I don't think it's ever been better in the league in regard to officiating. There were over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any play. Take that out or extrapolate that. That's hundreds, if not millions, of potential fouls. Our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those. Are there mistakes in the context of that? Yeah, they're not perfect, but officiating never will be. I, I agree mostly with Roger Goodell that... The officials, I think, are generally good. We all sort of accept that there's human error. They have implemented uh, excellent training, the ability for review, the rapid review, all that stuff. It's all been – it's good, mostly. But you can't come out and just – you always have to – I think when you're in his position, you have to come out and you have to say, hey, we, you know, we missed some, and we're going to take a look at it, and we're going to see what we can do in the offseason to make sure we don't. Because I thought – the AFC Championship game in particular was not very well officiated. I thought it was a bunch of ticky-tack calls. I wanted to see the players play a little bit. But, you know, I think Roger Goodell knows what he's, you know, that what knows what he's doing here. He's trying to sell the idea that they have the best officials in the world and whatnot. But we all know. It's never been better. Yeah, okay. Never yeah. been better. I don't know. The AFC title game was not good. And I had no dog in the fight. I just got tired of seeing both teams get flagged for ticky-tack stuff. And it's not even the Mahomes call at the end of the game. It's it's the uh, downfield illegal contact. They missed what should have been just an illegal contact call. They called it pass interference. Even the on-air officials expert was saying that shouldn't have been pass interference. 
that should have just been illegal contact outside of five yards because the ball wasn't in the air yet. And, you know, they missed some things. Why can't they? What, what's wrong with just going, we missed some calls. We, we, we're always looking at ways to improve, and we'll do it again this off season. He's propping up the brand. I guess. I guess you do that when the NBA is outdrawing you on a Tuesday night. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Punch it audio still ahead. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Twitter had uh, had some moments today. I don't know if you noticed it, but I rely on Twitter mostly uh, to promote what's coming on the show, to tweet out a link to the column I've written, and maybe check in and see what's going on in, in the world. I also actually goes to the websites of the news entities that I trust and that I know are uh, doing good original reporting, and I, uh, you know, I will... Uh, you know, scan and troll for for good news content. But Twitter today had some issues. I thought it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the end of the world, but I, I was kind of wondering what was going on. But I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, they were having uh, some issues with people being able to tweet. They were having issues. Uh, I was trying to message uh, the guest we had in the 3 o'clock hour, the reporter uh, who wanted to talk about SMU football. I couldn't get a dm out and i was thinking man we are becoming reliant upon this thing did you guys have any issues with twitter uh, i know steven you and i kind of talked about it you had you had like an hour where you didn't see any tweets or your timeline didn't update i was getting a error message saying basically um i can't tweet i can't follow anybody i can't check a message yeah, I wasn't trying to tweet anything, but it just seemed like everything was just kind of frozen on Twitter. Um, and then when we were talking about it, I did just check out like DMs because you said they weren't working and mine weren't working as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of those things though. Like I try not to get frustrated, but like I kind of just expect this kind of stuff to happen where there's going to be just hiccups all the time. But maybe that's just me being a negative person. But I just feel like I can't count on anything. No, once I realized everybody was having the same problem, I was good. But I, I at first I thought, did I get hacked? Did do I need to change my password? Did you know? And I was kind of trying to figure out because you know where would I go to find out if Twitter was down? Would I go to Twitter? No. So I had no contact. And then all of a sudden, but some people who could schedule tweets were able to tweet, and they were setting a tweet to be scheduled like a minute in advance in the future, and they were tweeting, "Hey, Twitter, Twitter's broken." So uh, it's interesting to see that go down. I feel like we need a little diversification. Uh, so maybe there's another reason why you uh, use Facebook or use Instagram as well. We're going to play Punch It Audio. we got Shaq and Kareem, Roger Goodell. You heard Anna talk about Roger Goodell. Uh, you'll hear it in his words. Trey Lance, LeBron, Tom Brady, so much to talk about. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. 
Well, this just in. The Lakers, the Jazz, and the Timberwolves are finalizing a trade that'll send D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt to the Lakers. Russell Westbrook and a first-round pick to Utah. And Michael Conley and a second-round pick to Minnesota. This just in. That trade just in. Good trade, bad trade at face value. Steven Peter, rip it apart. Uh, for the Lakers, it's a great trade. <laughs> I mean, the, me and Peter were just talking about yeah. this. Like, the Lakers got Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. They didn't have to give up much. And now, you know, I don't think the Lakers are, you know, NBA title contenders, but like just blended to Portland, I think they're probably better than the Blazers now. And I think that's tough for Blazer fans. Yeah. Can we stop getting fleeced by the Lakers, please? I'm not sure why this continues to happen. Great trade for them, truly. Again, I agree with Steven. This doesn't put them, you know, in the top four or five in the West, but they needed size. They needed shooting. They got both. Does Utah happy with this? They get Westbrook in a first round pick. Delighted, yeah, yes. delighted. That's yeah. all they want. They, I, they didn't want to win. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade, you know, Laurie Markkinen, who's been really good, or if they try to trade someone else, get another draft but, pick. Like they don't want to be good this year. They want draft picks. They're just gonna buy out Russ. Total rebuild for Danny Age. I wish Danny Age had uh, come to Portland. I, I think the franchise. I, he's not afraid to do something bold. He did it in Boston. It worked. Let's see if he can do it in Utah. Uh, moving on to Punch It Audio, Chris Sims. He doesn't want to criticize Jalen Hurts, but he's going to criticize Jalen Hurts. Chris Sims talking about how easy it is to be the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback. Punch it. I understand the pocket passing is there, right, but you have to worry about so many other things to play Philadelphia. And, of course, Jalen Hurts is a big part of that, and he capitalizes on all that, and I certainly am not trying to take anything away from that. But how would I put this? Quarterback, playing quarterback for the Eagles right now is set up to be one of the easier quarterback jobs in the sport. Yeah, look, uh, still got to play. Got to give Jalen Hurts credit. This uh, smacks to me of a former quarterback being jealous of a guy who's having some success early in his career. Tip your cap to Jalen Hurts. The Eagles don't get where they are without him. They weren't as good with him on the sideline this season. That That's documented. Still, it's a Super Bowl, and I think the Chiefs are going to come after him. Andy Reid talking about... Patrick Mahomes, punch it. Yeah, so he's been doing really well with, the, with his ankle. Um, and we had a fast practice a couple days ago, and he he moved well. He can really do just about everything, so um, at least everything in the game plan. Trying to be as boring as possible, Andy Reid channeling his inner Bill Belichick on that clip. Do you believe him, though? Do you believe him that he, he he's helping us do everything in the game plan? I don't I don't know because I don't I, if Mahomes could do everything I don't know if I don't know if I could trust what he says if he you know if he says if he does or if he says if he doesn't like we need to see it and I think you go into this game we're gonna find out pretty quickly if Mahomes is hurt or not because pretty quickly it's gonna be evident can he escape that Philadelphia Eagles pass rush. They do a really nice job. They did it to San Francisco. Gave a whole bunch of problems. They're very disruptive. If he can't move, we're going to find out early. Right now, I think I think Mahomes is probably going to be healthy enough to win this game. But we're not going to know until the first series because Andy Reid's not going to tell the Eagles one way or another. He's going to play it straight down the middle of the fairway. Shaq and Kareem had a nice exchange. In the wake of LeBron breaking Kareem's all-time scoring record, 
Shaq says that Kareem not reaching out to talk with him and get it in his head was the best thing for his career. What does he mean by that? Punch it. And I want to, hey, I want to tell Shaq, I asked you specifically this evening because you, you felt that I was uh, shaming you or, or ignoring you, and that would never be the case. And uh, you showed him what, what, what you were all about, the way you crushed all the centers in the league for a couple of years there. So uh, I'm on your side, Shaq. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. And listen, you not speaking to me was the best thing that happened in my career because all I wanted to do was impress you, sir. So I will talk to you soon, inshallah, and I love you very much. And I, I will never, ever have beef with the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You ain't got to worry about that. That's back at you. I love you, too. And all right, brother. I want you guys to keep on impressing the whole world with our game. It's a, yes. it's a wonderful game. Right. I like when these guys get along. You don't have to fight on TV for it to be good TV. Prove it in that clip. I like the uh, the idea of Kareem and Shaq giving respect to each other. It's uh, it's counterculture almost to what we see today, as everybody's trying to diss everybody else and declare themselves the greatest of all time. And he goes kind of opposite of what LeBron was like. Him and Kareem don't have a good relationship. Shaq and Kareem they didn't talk to each other because Kareem wouldn't talk to him, and Shaq didn't take it personal. He said, "I'm going to try to impress you." That's what that, and that's what he did. And that Kareem came back years later and just shows him gratitude like that's just respect from one another yeah i like i like hearing that versus the other thing debo samuel weighing in on the 49ers quarterback situation this from super bowl's media row punch it as crazy as this may sound um our players um we don't we don't get into all that you know we can we do we do what we're supposed to do we control all the things that we can control the quarterback situation and going to get somebody that's not like our job so as much as we trust Kyle as much as we trust John I mean to get us where, where like, we've been through these past four years I mean we believe in them so much like I don't the team just thinks like there's no input can I ask one yes, more thing because yes, Kyle Shanahan did say that he doesn't see any scenario where Jimmy G's back on your team so we do have that definitively what was your reaction when you heard that um it was kind of crazy I mean um being in this league you know um you see a lot you hear a lot and you know, um, Jimmy's been a great guy since I've been around. Um, great guy, you got to be around, good quarterback. But um, there comes a point in time where, you know, you have you have to let certain people go. Dick, it's show business, not show friends. As Bob Sugar told Jerry Maguire once upon a time, Debo Samuel knows it's a business. In, this, in the offseason, he found out about it. He cashed in. 49ers have an interesting situation on their hands they got most of their key free agents under contract robbie gold their kicker they gotta address that but then they have a major question at quarterback do they hand the keys to trey lance do they allow you know brock purdy who's had his surgery today to be the guy next year do they try to find a veteran solution short term and then hand the keys to one of the young guys they got a dilemma there Trey Lance talking on the Rich Eisen show about the crowded quarterback room. Where does he stand on Brock Purdy? Here's Trey Lance punching. It was hard. Um, it was it was hard for sure. Uh, ups and downs throughout the year. Um, it got easier when I found my role. I went in, you know, after uh, probably a few weeks after my, my first surgery. Right. Uh, and just talked to Kyle and was was like, man, what can I do? Um, what was Kyle. your role? What was your role? Uh, I started with base downs, 
Um, mm -hmm. Started with bass downs, breaking down pressures, um, especially once Brock started playing it, it definitely picked up, which is around the time of my second surgery, right before my second surgery. Um, but I, I needed something. I needed something to, to feel like I was contributing. Uh, that was that was the hardest thing for me was getting to that spot where I'm, I'm feeling good, I'm doing my rehab, I'm in the meetings, I'm asking the right questions, but I, I didn't feel like I was truly helping uh, when, a lot of time when, when Jimmy was playing. And obviously Jimmy's a vet, Jimmy's done it, he played at a really very high level. Right. Um, but once once Brock took over, like I, I felt like I needed to help. Uh, so whatever it was, based on pressures, third down pressures, red zone, um, I just tried to help as much as I could. Look, I mean, that's part of being a professional. I'm glad, glad Trey Lance is doing that. Uh, major question for the 49ers at quarterback next season. Roger Goodell talking about the officiating in the NFL. You heard Anna talk about it earlier. Goodell thinks it's better, the best it's ever been. Hear it in his words. Punch it. When you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. There are over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any plate. Take that out or extrapolate that. That's hundreds, if not millions, of, of, of potential fouls. And our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those. Are there mistakes in the context of that? Yes. They are not perfect, and officiating never will. But we've also had, obviously, replay and other aspects that help us address those issues to make sure they're not uh, something that uh, we can't correct on the field. There you go, Roger Goodell. Look, uh, I get it, 42,000 plays. I think the officials are pretty good, but let's not get carried away. Uh, there were some missed calls. I think there are still uh, there's still a lot of confusion over what is football and how the rules are changing and how do they protect quarterbacks. There's some out there that don't believe we're playing football anymore. I get it. The league's got to keep the QBs healthy, but I would like to see more consistency when it comes to officiating, and I didn't think it was consistent in the playoffs. I thought that AFC title game was really, really poorly officiated. He sounded like a really bad salesman in that clip. <laughs> like He's like, yeah. for $15 a month, that's only 49 cents a day. You know, like, it just it just sounded really bad to me. It was weird. I, I just, I think there's a better way. You know, and Anna said he's selling, right? You say he's selling. But I think there's a better way. I think you got to come alongside fans and you got to go, look, you know, there are always going to be calls that fans disagree with. We love how much our fans care about the game and their teams. We're doing our best to ensure that the officiating is the best that it can possibly be. You know, we get, there are 42,000 calls, plays every year, and we get the vast majority of those right. And you know what? We would love to get them all right. We'd love to be 100%. That's why we'll, we're going to be tireless this offseason to try to examine how we can be even better. I buy that versus this is the best it's ever been and, you know, hey, our guys are great. And, you know, just come alongside fans for a minute. Come on. For real. That's Punchin' Audio, the best sound from all around. We're going to talk about the NBA, some trade activity. Will the Blazers get involved, or is that door closed? Plus, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. Is Peter coming up top of the hour? Uh, no, it's going to be Talk Timbers tonight. Talk Timbers tonight. Tomorrow, Peter Sampson in the Pulse. Uh, wrapping up trade deadline talk. Catch it every uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at 6 o'clock right here on 750 The Game.
Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Should be an interesting uh, Thursday as the NBA trade deadline winds towards a close. Uh, I want to go back through a couple of these moves that have gone on. But, uh, you know, last night after uh, the Lakers game, a, uh, a report came out about a verbal exchange in the locker room as Lakers guard Russell Westbrook got into it apparently with Darvin Ham, his coach. Brief heated verbal exchange in the locker room during halftime as uh, Oklahoma City is playing the Lakers. Apparently, Ham had expressed some frustration with how Westbrook had lingered on the playing floor after getting subbed out of the game late in the second quarter. Voices were raised. Discussion turned back uh, to the game. Lakers lost. LeBron broke the record, surpassed Kareem. Uh, This was one of the stories that came out of it. Um, Westbrook did score 14 of his 27 in the fourth quarter. And uh, they seem to be okay, you know, later in the night. But was this related to this Westbrook trade? Now he's traded to Utah today, apparently, uh, in a deal that really benefits the Lakers. But, guys, how do you read what happened last night and how is it factors with the trade today? And I only bring this up because once upon a time, when Rasheed Wallace was with the Blazers, Blazer fans may remember this. You remember him getting traded to the Atlanta Hawks, who subsequently moved him on to the Detroit Pistons. And you may remember Rasheed Wallace quiet quitting in the game before he got traded. He found out that the Blazers were shopping him. He came in. I believe he either did not take a shot in the game, as I recall. I'm not looking this up. Or he only took one shot. He had nine assists. And it was a very puzzling game. And it was evident he was just telling the team, I'm done with you. I'm not going to score another point for you. He was subsequently traded. It, it sort of uh, was around the time I was the reporter who asked Rashid, do you care where you play? Uh, does it matter where you get your check? And he said at the end of the day, CTC, all of that, cut the check. Um, it was uh, a weird time. Uh, Russell Westbrook's behavior last night, the fact that he's traded today, are these things linked? I, I think they could be, and not that he freaked out on Darvin Ham, therefore the Lakers trade him, but I I believe, you know, look, they've been trying to get rid of him, I mean, essentially since the last trade deadline, and, you know, he's in constant communication with his agent, and if we found out about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, that these conversations with Utah and Minnesota were underway, his agent probably knew last night, and that means he probably knew. But that being said, I mean... Look, even if he, you know, cooked Darvin Ham breakfast every morning, you know, and gave him a shoulder massage, if you have a chance to get off that contract and get Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, you, you know, 
you have to take it. Not to mention, you know, D'Angelo Russell. The Lakers got better. They got off a bad contract. I'm not surprised that Russell's feeling a little bit. He moves to what's going to be, what, his fifth team in six years. He's probably going to be bought out in the next two days and join another team, maybe the Clippers. That's got to be frustrating as you're declining as a player. So I think they are related. I think the better question about that would be Anthony Davis because he Mm. hasn't necessarily shown all that type of, um, you know, just – you know, sadness and, uh, you know, whatever it was. I can't think of the word off the top of my head right now, but, like, he wasn't into the game, right? Like, he was not in the game. There's videos out there where he did not cheer for one shot LeBron made last night. I've watched Mm. every single shot. He did not cheer for LeBron. So, like, if he was traded today, I think that could be a thing where it was, like, he quietly quit on the team last night. I don't think he will be traded, but I think it's one of those things with, with Russ. Like, they've been trying to trade him all season long. Even last year, they were trying to trade him as well. Like, I don't think this one thing had to do with it. I think they were going to try to get off him no matter what. Do you think Anthony Davis is jealous of LeBron, frustrated with LeBron, frustrated that the team didn't do anything and pouting? What, you know, let's let's play, uh, you know, psychologist from 10,000 feet. You make sense of his behavior. I took it as he wasn't at all happy for LeBron last night. Like, his body language did not lie. I mean, LeBron is very difficult to play with, but Anthony Davis, man, he's like that guy you went to college with that partied too hard. He peaked at 25. That's a bad place to be in the NBA. I mean, Davis, when he can stay on the court, he's effective. But again, that usage rate, you know, a guy like LeBron, he is the offense. He is the system, and you have to fit in however you can. I know AD doesn't necessarily love playing center. He sort of needs to. Next to a LeBron, he's good to miss 25 to 35 games every year. I was surprised at the reaction, but like I'm not surprised at the general sort of malaise that he seems to be carrying around with him. But I, but it did kind of shock me, John, that he didn't at least stand up and clap for his teammate. It was it was a little off, yeah. Like I I don't understand. He must have been upset with LeBron over something. Like something must have been said. Or I think like you're saying, John, maybe there was some rumblings that they were shopping Anthony Davis. And I don't know that, but there could have been some rumblings and his agent got a hold of it and told him, and so he just wasn't happy about it. And maybe after the trade deadline, if he's not traded. He's back to being normal Anthony Davis, but there was something off last night for sure. And they even had LeBron catch him on camera saying, you know, I love you, bro. I love you, man. And he just wouldn't even respond back. Like, it was it was really weird that he wouldn't do that for a teammate, especially a guy that, you know, wanted Anthony Davis in L.A. and helped win a championship with LeBron. Like, that was the one guy that's been by LeBron's side ever since he's been in L.A., and he just showed no type of support for him. All he had to do, because he – and the video that circulated, he walks down the bench – Everybody's on their feet. The entire arena's on their feet because they know LeBron just needs a basket. And Anthony uh, looks at what's going on, and he sits down. Like, he doesn't even watch the shot. And he sits down. All he had to do was stand stand up, stay standing up and face the court. And maybe even just put a hand up in the air. Like, you know, uh, and nobody would have noticed anything. It could have flown under the radar. It, it smacked to me of he doesn't care that people know he wasn't happy. For LeBron, because he has to have that awareness that there are cameras everywhere, there are people watching. It. I think. I think we are. The trade deadline is uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think we are 24 hours away from figuring out what happened with Anthony Davis. Keep an eye on that because and I don't necessarily think he's going to be traded, but somebody's going to get to him and say what was going on, why weren't you happy for your teammate, or you know something will come out. It's it's too big of a fishbowl. It was too big of a moment. 
and he clearly wasn't happy for his teammate. But let's talk about this trade for just a second here. Um, you know, the Lakers trade Westbrook. They get out from under the contract, as you say. They get D'Angelo Russell. They get Malik Beasley. They get Jared Vanderbilt. How do those three guys help and fit around LeBron? Yeah, I mean, Malik Beasley, uh, he, he can shoot. He's a shooter. Jared Vanderbilt plays defense. Uh, he's an excellent rebounder. He's young. You know, so much of surrounding LeBron with talent is kind of veteran guys. Remember, you know, two years ago, the Lakers, uh, you say, wow, that's a really good team in 2012, right? Well, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, only 23, a lot of room to grow. He can especially defend on the uh, – he can come out on the screen and roll. And then D'Angelo Russell sort of is what he is. He's he's going to replace maybe kind of the uh, high-usage, questionable shot selection that Russell Westbrook gives you. But at least Ru- uh, Russell can get on a heater. He can hit the three, and you get off of that money. Utah, obviously thrilled. They've He's got – Danny Ainge has gotten them with like 15 – unprotected first over the last next seven years, $60 million in cap space once they waive Russ. Minnesota, I kind of look at it, this is a little questionable. I mean, Mike Conley, it makes sense. Russell wasn't really fitting in there, but I think they've got bigger problems with Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, uh, Anthony Edwards, sort of love triangle they have. Yeah, for the Lakers, you know, Malik Beasley, like Peter said, is one of the better consistent shooters in the NBA. So, like, that, it's going to definitely help with LeBron. We all know that's how you win with LeBron James is put shooters around him that can make some shots. So I think Beasley's going to thrive in that offense, just getting open jump shots uh, after open jump shots. And then with D'Angelo Russell, like, he's just a guy that, you know, has proven on the playoff stage, like, he can play. And I think that's just something that's going to be more consistent than Russell Westbrook. You know, Westbrook's going to put up better stats, but I think Russell, even for his sporadic play, like, he's more consistent than Russell Westbrook. You know what you're going to get from him? Again, better shooting. Russell Westbrook wasn't a shooter, and I think that's what you need around LeBron. you got to get guys that can shoot the basketball. And I think for Utah, they did exactly what they wanted to do. They got another draft pick. They're building for the future. And for Minnesota, I think they're in desperation mode because we talked about how we want the Blazers to go all in sometimes with Damian Lillard. They went all in. They went all in with Carlton Towns, Anthony Edwards, trading for Rudy Gobert. they got to figure it out. they got to figure out what works, and they're going to continue trying to change things up because it wasn't working with D'Angelo Russell, so to bring in a veteran like Conley, who has played with uh, Gobert before, I think that's a good move for them to maybe solidify them and try to get them into the top six. Maybe this makes Anthony Davis happy too. If if you're a Laker fan, maybe he suddenly feels like uh, you know they, they they're going to be a playoff team at least. Uh, we'll talk about the Blazers. What may be out there for them? Peter Sampson, Stephen, and myself coming up next. <laughs> Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think a lot of Blazer fans groaned when they saw the Lakers get in on a deal with the Timberwolves and the Jazz. What's out there for the Blazers? Uh, Currently, uh, obviously, this is a team. If we can just do a State of the Union here in front of talking about this. Uh, Blazers are sitting on the outside looking in at the playoff picture. They have the Lakers right behind them, game and a half behind them. Lakers just got better. Uh, there's a trade deadline coming up. Uh, if you're a Blazer fan, you're probably looking up at the Warriors and the injury to Steph Curry and going, hey, they're going to fall back. But Lakers clearly look like they are better than the Blazers right now today. After this trade, um, so I still think Portland is sitting on the outside looking in. Maybe the Jazz uh, fall off. Uh, that helps the Blazers, but, you know, no better than maybe a play-in team at this point, guys. Uh, if you're the Blazers, what can you do right now or what should you do uh, 
Should you be trying to go for it and be a playoff team? Or is it time to go, A, we're closer to the bottom than the top. Let's think about next year. Yeah, in conventional wisdom says it's time to tank. But here's the thing. The Trailblazers, you're right on the money. They just got passed by the Lakers. Dallas just got better, at least for this year. Clippers probably going to sign Westbrook. Portland needs to make the playoffs this year so that pick will convey to the Chicago Bulls and then they can actually trade other picks. If they truly want to get better around Damian Lillard, they have to do it. They can't make really any meaningful moves otherwise. So things just got a lot harder for them because, again, a couple teams right around them in the standings have just gotten better. But they have to reach that postseason, John, if they want hope to be able to move those picks anytime soon. Yeah, Golden, I mean, Golden State and Utah, though, it feels like those two teams could fall back. You think Golden State could fall back? I don't. I don't know. I just for a couple weeks. Yeah, until <laughs> Steph comes back. Yeah, I, I get. It. I, I just trust Golden State too much. I exactly. think that's my problem. But I'm with Peter. Like Utah is going to fall back. I think if you're Portland right now, you know Vanderbilt was a guy that has been linked to Portland. You can go through Utah's roster right now, and you can try to find some guys to trade for. Um, I've heard some things like Kelly Olynyk could be available. I know he's not a difference maker, but like he's a warm body that could actually help the Blazers. But doesn't it feel like you're just prolonging the inevitable? Here? Yeah, but but it's like Peter said, if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're going to lose yeah, that draft they pick. They lose their pick. And, yeah. and, and I think going into next summer, that's going to be important because we've just seen now like what you can get for first round draft picks, right? Like teams want these draft picks really bad, and so you can get you know combine that with another player with an Anthony Simons with something, and he hopefully gets some good back. Well, if you're a Blazer fan, sell some hope here, Peter. Blazer fans who are looking to the deadline tomorrow, uh, what are they hoping happens here? Is it a big move? Is it any move? Is it a small move that fortifies their depth? Uh, is there somebody on this roster that, you know, there's not a Russell Westbrook situation here, but is there somebody on this roster they need to move because it helps them? Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a Josh Hart, and it doesn't help them, you know, d- because if he's not contributing on the court, it's strictly a, a salary and contract situation. Look for him to get moved for some depth. Now that Jared Vanderbilt's off the board, though, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they're looking to move him for some size. I don't know who that would be or what the talent level would be. I know the Knicks were interested. Of course, uh, Jalen Brunson, his Villanova teammate, plays there. So we'll see what happens. Portland will not totally sit things out, but there's not going to be a big-time move. Keep your ear to the ground or this radio show, as tomorrow we will uh, give you the latest as we count down the trade deadline, 3 to 6 p.m. tomorrow. We'll be all over it off the top of the show. Uh, Grab a podcast if you missed any part of today's show. Uh, I appreciate everybody who makes this program part of their day. We'll be back tomorrow, and if you want to read me, you read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing, and uh, I got some things in store this week. I uh, got some stories to tell, and, of course, we'll go where the stories are on this radio program. The Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. Uh, in Portland, coming up right here on 750 The Game, Talk Timbers is next, and Peter Sampson in the Post tomorrow night in the wake of the trade deadline.